Welcome to Game Face, episode 214 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. This is our flagship show. We're here every Tuesday on Twitch live and archived for our patrons at Sifted.net and Patreon.com slash Sifted tomorrow. Uh, we're starting a little late today. Our apologies to those of you who have gotten used to our 1 p.m. Pacific start time. Uh, our office, our studio flooded yesterday. Um, a pipe burst in the bathroom, which is two doors down from our studio. It completely flooded the studio next to ours. I'm guessing there was probably inches and inches of water in there and then came into ours as well. Um, there are, right now, Mitch is in the studio, by the way, and there are huge fans in there. Our landlord has in there trying to dry out the carpet. It's all torn up. Our green screen was torn down. Our studio is a disaster right now. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's why we didn't publish Sifted HQ this morning, as usual, because we shoot that whole show in there. Uh, we weren't able to shoot all our parts for it. We're going to try to get that to you guys tomorrow if we can. Uh, but there's a bunch of other things that are complicating stuff. We have curfews here. Uh, it's 2 o'clock right now in Los Angeles, and different neighborhoods in L.A. have different curfews. Um, Santa Monica right now, which our studio is about half a mile away from the line for Santa Monica, uh, they their curfew is it like is already like they're already locking down the town. I think Venice as well. Um, Los Angeles in general is 6 p.m. Um, so we have time to get this show done for me to run over, pick up the file, bring it back here, hopefully before curfew hits. So anyway, it's crazy uh, what's going on right now for everyone. Um, across the United States and, you know, we're still doing, dealing with the pandemic across the world right now. It's just nuts. Um, there's really no other way to put it. I hope we're providing some catharsis for you guys, um, a moment every week where you can reconnect with people who love the same stuff that you guys do. Um, I hope you guys aren't impacted negatively by the riots and the looting. Um, and I do want to draw a clear line between the protests and the riots and the looting, because they're two different things. Um, I support the protests wholeheartedly. Black Lives Matter, I'll say it a billion times. Been fighting against racism since I was 18. Uh, when me and my friends would go look for uh, Nazi skinheads in the central PA area. Um, and I'm not proud of what I did back then, to be honest, because we would hunt them down and we would beat them up. So... <laughs> Looking back now, I was 18 to 20 years old. I was Out of young. your time. I was young and insane. Um, I wouldn't do that now. If I had a son who was 18 and he told me he was going to hunt a bunch of all right guys, I'd tell him not to. Uh, it was a different time back then. People fought with fists and not with guns back then. Um, but it's very discouraging for me to think about what I went through as a late teenager fighting these scumbags. I thought it was gone, to be honest with you. I thought we were fighting the last wave of it, to be honest with you. And we stomped it out. Um, they would come to the shows in the area at first. And once they saw that we were standing up to them, um, they stopped coming. Um, it's the old adage of standing up to the bully. Uh, they're not used to being stood up to. Uh, and then they would retreat to, they lived in this town called Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which actually is where uh, Sifter Mike's Q, our voiceover guy lives right now. And that's where they were all from. And so they stopped coming to the shows in, in Pennsylvania and they started going to their shows in Lancaster and we followed them there. 
And there was a club there called the Chameleon where lots of shows happened. And we went there and we took over that place too and ran them out. And we thought that was it. We were like, all oh, these dumb kids from the sticks, they're the last wave. We were wrong. We were way, way wrong. Um, so I support the protests wholeheartedly um, as a site, as sifted. I support what's going on wholeheartedly. If you don't like that, I don't know what to tell you. There are things bigger in life than worrying about if somebody agrees with me in that way. Um, it's just the way it is. So we're feeling the riots and the protests more than anyone. Um, and for us to sit here and see what's going on in our city and still have this dance, maybe that should tell you something if you're somewhere else where this isn't happening. So, and I think Matt would agree with me on this. I think Mitch, I think would agree yeah. with me on this. And my house is like literally in the middle of all of it. Like I, yeah, I'm is. everything yeah. you see on the news, like all the looting, all this stuff, like in, in West Hollywood, all that. I am less than a mile from all of that. Yeah. Like every single thing they've, every store they've shown on the, on the news has been like somewhere I go regularly. Um, uh, place, place, places two blocks up got set on fire last night. Um, like it's bad out there. Um, but as Shane said, the protesters and the looters are two different groups of people for the most part. Uh, I was at the protest that turned crazy Saturday, um, briefly. Uh, it was, uh, entirely fine until the cops showed up. So, um, and then just whole new groups of people started showing up at that point. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I've been in my fair share of protests, but I've never seen anything like this before. Um, I didn't live in L.A. in 92 during the, the, the riots. Um, and this isn't as, you know, widespread and destructive uh, and immediate. But uh, we also haven't had the trial yet. So we'll see what happens then. Um, but you gotta yeah, keep doing it, though. You got to keep yeah. hiding it. I mean, and this is the way this is one way we can do it. Um, we can't give up. We can't let them win. They're never going to win. My grandfather fought in World War II to get rid of these people. So we're not going to stop. And they're probably not going to stop either. But the truth is, is that they're a very vocal, small slice of our society. Yeah, well, it's also not just Nazis. It's it's a systemic problem that exists in how America polices itself. True. And that needs to be addressed. Um, this is just, you know... The, the Nazi presence is almost collateral damage in comparison to that or infiltration one way or the other. But, um, you know, justice needs to be served before there can be any kind of peace on this. And uh, we're either going to learn that or this is just going to continue to happen because this is certainly not the first time this message has attempted to have been sent. Yeah. And hopefully so, this time somebody listens. Yep. So this is crazy crap, people. It just is. Um, I'm obviously much older than probably a lot of you. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen this <laughs> piling on of craziness going from a pandemic into this social unrest. It's crazy. Um, we're trying to provide a respite for you guys a little bit, both on Sifted and with Game Face, a little escape for you guys from some of the insanity that's going on right now. And there is no better escape, uh, I believe, than video games. And we have a bunch of really good ones to discuss with you guys today. Uh, we are Sifted. You can find us at sifted.net. Um, this is our flagship show. We are 100% supported by Patreon. Uh, you can help us out at patreon.com slash sifted. Uh, you can find free versions of all our content as well on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on our YouTube channel. Um, you can also help us with Twitch Prime, uh, which is just linking your Amazon Prime account to your Twitch account and then subscribing to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash siftedgames. That's free. $2.50 a month you can give us for nothing just for having Twitch Prime. And we'd really appreciate any way that any of you can help us. And 
if you subscribe with Twitch Prime, you're now getting Pactor Factor a week early with our patrons. Uh, so there's incentive to do that as well. So anyway. I don't mean to interrupt, I'm, but I just want to say one quick thing if that was okay. I mean, uh, sure. the biggest thing for me was I came from Minnesota and Minneapolis area. Like I have family. Where this is all started. Where it yeah. all started. And so for me, emotionally, this has been the hardest. I mean, it's just the video alone is hard to watch in general. I have and, not. Why? Well, uh, I'll tell you, I have not watched the video. I, I've, I, you can't help it because they show it over and over. But I've seen those first couple frames they keep showing where you can see the liquid trickling across the pavement. And as soon as I saw that, I knew what it was. I knew how the rest of the video was going to go, and I just, I can't watch it. Yeah, I but I, I think just as a person, also, I worked with people with disabilities for such a long time, and I have such a compassion for people. Um, I think that's if something Shane could say about me is I'm very compassionate about people just in general. And so sure. it's just extremely disheartening to see the event that took place because it's murder, it's horrible, and it shouldn't happen. And I agree with everything you've guys said so far about, you know, the systemic racism that's in our society is unacceptable, and it needs to change. And hopefully out of all this, there actually will be positive change. And if there isn't, I can't imagine what this society will be. I really yep. can't. And I'll be honest, I have tried to run Sifted as political free as possible. Um, but this is something that really strikes close to my heart. And I feel like if I couldn't just come out and say Sifted doesn't support that type of behavior, then why am I doing this? If I can't build something that I can't share how I feel on, why did I do it? So I understand some people may not like this stance and you got to do what you got to do. And I got to do what I got to do. And I got to do this. So that's it. Let's get to video games because it was a really interesting week in gaming. Believe it or not, we're going to kick things off with probably because we don't know yet a lot of what's coming for PS5 or Xbox Series X, um, I would say probably the biggest game for the rest of the year right now, except for Cyberpunk 2077, and that is The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, we've gone a long time kind of wondering about this game. We got some trailers and we could infer some things based upon what we saw in those. We got that one little gameplay chunk about a year, year and some ago that kind of showed the moment-to-moment -moment stuff. But this 20-plus minute presentation really showed off what the game is, how the game is going to play, what elements are in the game, what the setting is, what the plot is. It really just laid it all out there. And it makes sense because the game literally comes out now in like 16 days. So we're just two weeks out from The Last of Us Part Two, which is really exciting. Shocking it took this long for us to finally get this information two weeks before it launches, but better late than never. Um Matt, what was your overarching opinion after checking out 20 plus minutes of the game? Um, I mean, mainly it sure is pretty. Yeah. Um, especially the underwater stuff. Although the compression stuff. on that video was really bad. Like the 1080 I didn't see it. I, I didn't see compression. I think because I saw your comments on, on the sifted story and I, th I didn't watch it until yesterday. Oh, okay. And I think by the time I watched it, they had everything had been uploaded and then smoothed over and everything. Cause yep. like, cause sometimes it happens with like premiere YouTube premiere videos is they, yep. they run low res why. and then yeah. but it's just, it has to go through the 
compression or whatever, and then they it, it, it gets better that. a few hours because later. Because I could look on the player and it said 1080p on the player. Yeah, but it can it can play at 1080p, but still not be 1080p quality in the video yeah. they're showing. Like that happened. Gotcha. That also happened. I watched Jenny Jenny Nicholson's um, one hour long Land Before Time uh, series rundown uh, this week, and it also had weird artifacting and compression uh, problems. Okay. And then like you watch it again later when it's already up on this up on YouTube and, and processed, and it looks fine. So when I watched this, it looked just fine. Um, obviously, it's going to look I went better. back and watched the archive, and it looks stunning. It's <laughs> obviously going to look record, better yeah. on a 4K TV you know, yeah. in, in person. Yeah. But uh, everything looked really good, especially the, the water stuff. Like the, the, the way she, when she's underwater, it looks really good. When I, love, I love attention to detail when it comes to what gets wet in, in a game. Like the fact that you know, she doesn't get in the water and her backpack just instantly becomes like a wet texture. Like it's only yeah. wet up to the level that the water yeah. has touched it. Like I like stuff like that. And we're not even oh, that, 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 that presentation is loaded with stuff like that. And I'll bring up a couple others when we start mm -hmm. getting into kind of the details. Um, but were, would you say overall you were pretty impressed with what they showed? Yeah, I was impressed by certainly visually. Um, like the combat and like the actual gameplay is pretty much what I expected it to be. Um, based on sort of the the, the the bit they showed at E3 last year, um, or not last year, whatever they showed it whenever the, two, was that two years ago now? Yeah, the demo, the demo, was. she's running around yeah. killing everybody, and everybody's mm -hmm. yeah, oh, wow. Well, I think it was E3 2018. Yeah, yeah, so two years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think they've more or less translated that into the actual gameplay we saw today for the most part. Um, it doesn't seem to be a situation like with the first game or what we initially saw as the demo of how combat would work turned out to be completely wrong. Um, my other, uh, especially in terms of like the AI of the, the uh, enemies, and in that realm, I think the thing that I perked up the most about was probably the bit where she sets the the, the clickers on the, the WLF people yeah. uh, in, in yeah. like the subway tunnel. And you see them show up and you see the WLF guys like react pretty believably to being ambushed by these things. And they sort of pull back and, and back off like realistically in terms of yeah. like kind of laying down fire and like retreating to a better position. And then the zombies kind of come around to the side. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like I, I thought that looked really good. Like, like in terms of like, not just in terms of believability and presentation, but in terms of like, if I threw a rock and that happened and I got to watch that happen, like I find that to be a satisfying result of trying to like distract the enemies. So, um, so yeah, overall, I think I was very impressed. And I was also impressed by, you know, by the very last thing in the demo, uh, the story is clearly not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. There's more, there's more there. And I think they're very smart to not say what happens to drive Ellie out of Jackson and into the world to do what she's going to do. Um, but that little tease for what apparently it was at the end of that is um, I, I, cause I, after that, I'm like, yeah, I'm playing. Cause I haven't looked at the spoilers. I haven't looked at the spoilers. Um, I haven't either. And I won't. And uh, so after that, I was like, yeah, I'm in, I, uh, I'll play. I'm in like, I want to know what happens for sure. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, I want to thank a couple people. Tiny2K and Sound Wizard are going in toe-to-toe -to -toe again, gifting subs to everybody. Thanks, you guys. That's flipping awesome. Um, also, JMRay99 jumped in and dropped a few on our uh, on our viewers. Thanks, guys. Uh, another thing I want to bring up, you guys can check sifted.net right now. We finally have our streaming live on Twitch alert working in the header of the site. So in the top right in the header, Anytime we're live on Twitch, you'll now get an alert. You can go there right now and you can see it. 
Um, glad to see that's working. I've been working with Brent on some stuff this week, and it looks like that's one thing that is working correctly. So pretty excited about that. Uh, let's get back to The Last of Us Part Two. I took extensive notes while I was watching this because after I watched the first like 60 seconds, I started to realize that there was just so much stuff planted in there to show off all the work that they've done. So I have great notes that's going to guide this conversation. Um, first of all, it picks up several years after the first game, 25 years after the pandemic began. Uh, Joel and Ellie are living in Montana in this kind of encampment with a bunch of other survivors. It's very much Walking Dead. Uh, they've found their latest homestead where they're holed up with a bunch of people. Uh, they don't explain it. But something horrible happens, and they do explain a little bit of it, but I don't want to spoil it here on Game Face. They're in, they're in Wyoming. Anyway. Wyoming, that's right. It's what did the, I say, Montana? Montana. It's the, it's the, uh, I always mix up the states for some reason. No offense yeah, to anyone who lives there. Yeah, well, it's all just open. <laughs> yeah. But it's the, it's the place where, like, I believe Joel's um, brother brother sets up. Like, they get the dam working again, and they, they decide to set up, like, a, a colony there, pretty much. Yep. Um, and something and that, so, so apparently happens. that's going pretty well for them. Yeah, they're happy Until, there. Yeah, and in fact, the scene that you saw at E3 last year where they're dancing in the barn, that is at that homestead where they've all yeah. kind of got together and they're living together. Something terrible happens. They do hint at what it is, but I'm not going to say here on the show. And that sends Ellie um, out on the road uh, on a quest for revenge. Uh, they said that while they do travel uh, to the Pacific um, Northwest the most, most of the game takes place in the Seattle area. And I think we kind of knew that. There were some rumors that were floating around for a while about that. I think we kind of had a hint at that already. Um, yeah, you're right. Jackson, Wyoming is where that they were. They were settled before. Um, Ellie is 19, by the way, in this game. So she is a young adult. She is no longer an innocent uh, tween like she was in the last game. Um, and obviously she's an adult now. She has adult feelings, adult emotions, and something sets her off that sends her out to extract revenge. Um, they said that the game spans multiple seasons and climates. Obviously, if you're traveling halfway across the United States, you're going to see a lot of different territory. And we all know Seattle is like a very unique biodome as far as this climate is concerned. Um, but most of the game does take place in Seattle. Um, one of the big things I think that people will be struck by at first is the addition of traversal stuff. A traversal was a bit of a sore point in the first game, along with a couple other things that I've kind of mentioned over the years. Um, but it looks like they've really fixed that. They've added ropes into the game, and you can mm -hmm. kind of rig up a rope and then swing across, like pit files, uh, pitfall style across yeah. gaps. Well, I mean, they pretty much just lifted that from Uncharted 4. Yeah. So it makes sense. The engine can do it now, so you might as well use it. Yep. Um, there's horseback riding, which is a big part of the game, and they show that extensively throughout uh, in like the little mini kind of trailers that they cut and in the gameplay. Uh, they show multiple scenes with more than Ellie on horseback. So you'll be traveling with other compadres by horse. Um, this, there's flooding, as they mentioned, like there's climates and the weather and everything. Like certain parts of the levels get flooded. And then you get like a little like outboard motor boat that you can use to get around. Um, it, so it looks like I'm not. Are you, do you think there's an open world, Matt? They didn't really mention that. 
Yeah, they said it's like going to be a yeah. They said it's going to be huge open spaces bigger than anything they've ever made before. Yeah, but he didn't say open world. That leads me well, to believe a, it could be like Uncharted Four, where it's kind of a pseudo open world. Well, I, I think that's a difference without a distinction at this point in games. Like it's just splitting hairs for no good reason. Because like what they made in Uncharted Four was pretty much an open world map, like on a certain scale. And he said, you know, Neil in the VO says that. What they made for Seattle is kind of sounds like it's pretty much the same thing, but vastly larger. And like at a yeah. certain point, like I mean, the Unchar Uncharted's uh, map, the big that big main map you ran around in with the jeep, um, like that's bigger than some uh, older open world games that we've called open world. So um, I think they, you know, as long as you're not talking about like very compartmentalized environments, and it doesn't look like you are outside of like going, you know, kind of like the Arkham City idea. It looks like it's going to be a big place. And then when you get to a building you can go into that's part of the story or part of a side story, like you'll go in and you get kind of a, an internal level from that. Like that seems to be what was happening with the hospital in this. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it may not be like GTA style open world, but I think it will be fair. It won't be like Horizon, but it will be fairly described as an open world game or at least an open Rome game, if that makes sense as a difference. Like, I think it's I, probably going to just be just like Uncharted 4, where while you're playing, it's, it's you not gonna be like the first in an open game. world, but... It's not going to be like the first game where like the first game was very much discrete location, location, load, location, load, location. Load, load, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't look like it is truly an open world game. Maybe we'll finally get one of those yeah. from Naughty Dog next gen, though. Like, um, I feel like you're going to... That it's engine gonna be, might be... I feel like it's going to be a series of large open places. Like, it looks yeah. like Jackson will be its own space. Seattle will be its own space. There will probably be some kind of intermediate space between when she's on her way to Seattle. Um, I feel like that's what it's going to be. It's not all going to be one interconnected thing, but it's going to be, um, I guess, sort of like what Death Stranding did. Um, where you know you can't just literally walk across the United States in Death Stranding. There's places where you have to enter a enter an area and kind of transfer to the next section. Yeah. So I think it'll be something like that. Yep. Um, so there's two warring factions that are a part of the world. You met Matt. You touched on this a little bit earlier about how you can kind of hit the enemies against each other in the game. Um, there are there's one that's called the Washington Liberation Front. Mm -hmm. um, they were a government resistance group before the crap hit the fan. Um, and somehow they've managed to arm yeah, themselves with military weapons. Because Seattle was a quarantine zone right, after the outbreak. Right. And they were basically protesting the lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> and then they became a violent paramilitary group. Who would have thought? And they have the, mili they have the military weapons as well. Somehow yeah, they, they, they liberated... The, well, he said they, they liberated uh, military weaponry from a local armory, basically. Yeah. So they are very well equipped and are sort of the occupying power of the Seattle area now. And they will kill you on sight. So you see one of those guys, it's, it's on. Immediately you're in combat with those guys. The other group was called the Scars or the Seraphites. Yeah. And they're kind of like the religious freaks. They've like mm -hmm. all cut their faces and they have scars on their faces. Yeah, they seem to be the group that uh, in that first teaser we saw where they capture the, the women and torture yep. them. Like that seems to be them yep. doing the torturing. And they use, instead of military weapons, they use like bows and knives. They're very stealthy. Um, they generally move silently. Um, so you have kind of like the... 
I am looking forward to starting a fight between those two. Let's see what happens. See if the bows and arrows versus the AK-47s. Yeah, I hope you can. I hope that that is a part of the game. Mm. Um, I hope that it isn't just like getting the infected to attack one of the factions. I hope you can get, at, at some point in the game, the factions going at each other, and then you can join in. It just turns mm. into like this crazy, like, well, it, the, the WLF definitely doesn't like the scars. Like the, yeah. uh, you can hear them talking about it in in the clip they they play. Yep. So, so that possibility um, is certainly I, there. I, I'm sure we're not the only ones to think of that. Yep. Neil's Neil's pretty smart. He is. Yeah. Um, and then they start. They talked about the creatures, uh, the infected, and a lot of the popular ones from prior games return. So the clickers are there, um, and they pretty much work the same way you have the runners that are really aggressive the people who mm -hmm. are just starting to turn and then they started talking about some of the new stuff um they they teased more than what they showed yeah. really they did they only show showed one new one new thing the shamblers yeah and they're like these crazy heavy armored enemies. yeah they're like overgrown with pustules and fungus and stuff yeah and like they get close to you and they just release like this gas cloud or spores or whatever mm -hmm. it is around you Wait, I thought so they they're, showed they're two. Tanks. There was another one that hides in the hides in the dark and will spring up on you like a runner, but it's not a runner. Um, stalkers. I, the stalkers. Sneak. I want to say they were. In, I thought they were in the first game. I thought they were too. I didn't yeah. think they were. I thought it was just runners, clickers, and the uh, the giant one, whatever it was called. I thought there was only three types. I don't uh, but know. anyway, it's been a very long time since I yeah. played that game. Yeah, but anyway, the, the stalkers is what Mitchell is talking about, and they hide. Um, and they wait in stealth, and then when they have a shot at you, they just come running at you. So, um, and then they put up a black screen and said, "Plus new creatures," and we could hear them, but we couldn't see them. So, um, in addition to the new creatures we talked about, there are going to be others. Um, uh, let's talk about some of the detail in the game. So, this is something that Naughty Dog, I believe, is one of the best in the industry at. And it's just adding these little touches to games that kind of immerse you in the realism of the game. So, a big part of that is the dogs. The dogs can smell you, obviously, far better than a human being can. And they can really suss you out. So, you can't... One thing I do remember about the first game was being able to hunker down and just kind of stay there and just mm -hmm. wait for the AI to slowly kind of come over to you and pick them off that way. Well, in this game, you're not going to be able to do that because the dogs are on your scent trail. And as Ellie, you can see the scent trail as well, which is a little weird, but um, but it helps you obviously avoid the dogs. And then, Matt, you're talking about visual details earlier. There's one scene in this presentation where Ellie is inside a building watching the patrol go by with the dog. And I think she coughs or she sneezes or something, and the dog perks up. And you can see the leash on the dog when the dog turns its head the leash pops up over the head of the dog and falls back down on the other side like hmm. and once i saw that then i started really paying attention to like all and it is just loaded with that stuff like you can see why their games take so long uh, is it was it worth the time and effort to make that leash realistically hop over the dog's head like that I think for most developers, they'd say, no, it's not. But for Naughty Dog, it is. Mm -hmm. And that's why we wait so long for its games, in between its games. And I will say that the detail isn't entirely to their advantage because there are things in this demo where I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because of how much detail you put in this. Yeah, you start to assume like, that the whole game is going to be that way, right? Or like just things where like, I don't I mean, I know it's a gameplay convenience, but like 
you can't just put a can on a pistol and shoot. If you su- <laughs> you'll yeah. suppress. Okay, you'll suppress. I'll believe that it's a suppress of an effective suppressor, but you're gonna make a loud snap noise, and everyone in that area is gonna know that something just went off. Like it's not gonna be like totally silent or like. I know it doesn't matter because the the girl had um that was playing the Vita and had the headphones in. Yeah. But I'm like, I, while she's sneaking up on, I'm like. Try to swim quiet. <laughs> and then she's like swimming, she's like, Ugh, like grunting. And then she like pulls herself out. I'm like, I'm like, if you can't see from that distance that this person you're trying to sneak up on has headphones in, you should be trying to be a lot quieter. And I know that's nitpicking, yeah. but like, but the that's level the standard of detail, that they set. Yeah. Like, you make me start to question yeah. why um, that is. Did isn't you notice there also in that same scene when she is swimming through the water, did you look at the water? Yeah. Wow. They did a really good job with all the Oh water my stuff. god, dude. Like literally, you can see the ripple waves at the top of the water from her hands under the water swimming. Like mm-hmm. again, once I saw that first shot, I just started looking for stuff like this and it's just one after another and you're right. Because of that, it does set the standard like way up there. So when you get something like the terrible AI from the first game, it's very off-putting. And one thing that does concern me with this game is we talked earlier about how in the first game you could just kind of hunker down and stay there and eventually kill everything and then move on. And we talked about how the dogs with the scent are going to keep that from happening. Another thing that's going to keep that from happening is what Naughty Dog is calling analog stealth, which means that when you're in quote unquote cover, in a lot of games when you do that, there's a switch that flips Mm -hmm. in the game that says enemies can no longer see you. Well, in this game, that's not going to be the case. If you're only partially in cover, the enemies will absolutely be able to see you and come after you. So it appears there's going to be a lot of unease in this game, but it also makes me nervous because they also talk about in this presentation that there are allies along for the ride with you, and they, they're they doing a lot of stuff. That was a big problem with the first game, was having the allies along and having her running around out in the open while you're supposed to be in stealth. So that sent up a little bit of a red flag for me. I hope I'm wrong. And I'm- I would guess that they've probably come up with some kind of solution for that because it was such a widely noted and or mocked element of the first game. I can't imagine that they wouldn't have been bothered by that. So I, I bet so. there's some way they've worked around. I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure you can't be given away by your your companion still because that would be a terrible gameplay idea. But like, I bet they found a way to make the companion behave I- a little, <laughs> yeah, a little more. It was really um, bad in the first game. Because the stuff they showed where the companions are helping you uh, in the middle of the fight look real good. They like, do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're, they did. No, notably, they did not show sneaking around with a friend. Uh, so that, that is a question. But I think they must have addressed that in some way, even if it's as simple as keeping the, the characters behind you all the time so you don't see them running around like crazy people. Uh, yep. Like like um, like Ellie and Bill did in the first game. It was a couple of real Benny Hill moments in 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 that first game. Oh, uh, just over and over and over again. It took all the tension out of the game. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to get away from these clickers and I got to hunker down. And then you see like her running around in circles, mm. like out in the middle of the room. It's like. But I also like the 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 addressing of kind of the like part of the thing that that took me out of the first game was sort of how how like I don't know I I, I guess how almost slapdash some of the gameplay elements felt in comparison to the presentation where yeah. like you, you had to pick up I mean, like that's the spare not parts a dog and stuff. In a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, but like you had to pick up spare parts and stuff and Joel would kind of go 
like like kind of mind grabbing nothing yeah. or like you just sort of like instantly create stuff in this like you know she's clearly reaching out and grabbing the individual oh, yeah. objects that mm -hmm. she's picking up when you want to craft something she pulls her her backpack down and unzips it and like makes the thing right like like it take you know they've they've taken a lot of the gaminess out of that kind of part of the gameplay For sure. and that's exactly what i think what they needed to do and i might annoy some people but like like if you're going to go for the fidelity thereafter with this game and and the sense of place and the sense of of purpose like you're going to have to put some of these kind of what someone might call tedious elements in there and not like to the degree that say Red Dead Redemption 2 does like yeah, that's going this the still, other complete other direction way yeah, too this is clear, <laughs> clearly still functional on a gameplay level but they just add that way you know, the fact that when she wants to make something she whips that backpack down you hear that zip of unzipping the the, the pack yeah. to like get the stuff like I'm I'm in it to the point that at one point like I I was watching this after she did that a couple of times and then she reaches behind and grabs some grabs something like a one her gun or or something off the back off the backpack I was like wow she must put everything in the same place every time so she knows exactly what she's grabbing for and it was interesting to me that I thought of an in universe explanation for that before I thought well it's a gameplay contrivance and it doesn't matter because they've made her look so believable doing that that like it just feels like she's super prepared rather than she's magic which I think is a pretty big step compared to the first game. Yep. They also talked about how fleeing is a viable and necessary tactic in this game. Just running away, reestablishing stealth, kind of regathering yourself, and then setting up for the next confrontation. Um, how do you feel about that idea? It's good. I mean, as long as they give me the tools to, you know, to, to, to stealth kill, to directly confront, and then to regroup. I think those three pillars will make the whole thing work. And I think one of the problems with the first game was they really only had stealth. Like yeah. once you once you broke stealth, everything got real messy and it yeah. wasn't fun. Like yeah. it was doable, but it wasn't fun. And this looks like it stays interesting and fun no matter how you have to play the, the encounter. And Speaking so that's a, that's a big yeah. jump to me. That's a great segue into the next point, which is that they have done a good bit of work on the gameplay. I think we both agree that was probably its weakest, the weakest spot of the first game. Um, like you said, once you got out of stealth, everything just kind of fell apart. It looks like they're addressing that directly. Um, first of all, Allie, Allie, Ellie is far more agile than she was in the first game. Um, she has a sprint. She can dodge. Uh, there's a counterattack in the game, so if you time your dodge right, you can counterattack. Um, there actually a, seems to be a fairly robust melee system. Yeah, it, and again, like that, that may have come from Uncharted Four, I think maybe. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but but it's you know, but obviously it's a little more brutal. Like Uncharted's I mean, more. Uncharted's a cartoon in comparison. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that really was the over when i asked you at the beginning like what was your overarching opinion of the game my overarching opinion of the game after watching this one was that it looks freaking awesome and i can't wait to play it but two is like oh my god it's really brutal like really brutal um mm. i I'm like, I don't know who did the research on what a dog sounds like when it gets set on fire, but uh, I don't I think I'll be doing that. People haven't freaked out about that yet. That was another thing that I posted in the comments on Sifted after I watched it was, man, people are going to be upset about the dog being killed. But I haven't seen anything from anyone about that I yet. I mean, Druckmann like, said you never have to kill a dog if you don't want to. Obviously, it's going to make it a lot easier if you do. Um, I'm just like, saying. How did they record that? That's I mean, you, I mean, you probably just take a whining dog and pitch it up, and like you can do a lot with audio tools. Yeah, um, I feel bad for the audio guy who had to do that for a day, but yeah. like it's effective. 
Um, it's just it's brutal across the board. Everything about it is so stark and bleak. And I just wonder, man, like right now, if there's a lot of people who want to play something like, I mean, sometimes things like that can be cathartic. It can help you kind of get out of that mood because you're kind of exercising those demons, so to speak. But right now, I mean, I don't know if this game could have come out at a worse time, to be honest with you. Hmm. How do you feel about that, Matt? I mean, that stuff doesn't bother me. It's fictional. Like, well, yeah, but like I probably won't set the dog on fire because that's a terrible sound effect. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know. Like, it just doesn't. Those are two different things to me. I don't know. I don't know. What I'm are two different things? Real life violence and and fictional violence. Well, they're like, two things to everybody. <laughs> yeah, but like this, I like I don't really understand what you mean. I guess. You, so, would... are you saying that video games have no impact on your mood at all? Not negative, I would say. No. Really? In movies either? Mm, I mean, like, I'm not going to say, like, negative. Like, like a violent movie, necessarily, no. But, like, something that, like, gets into something. To, like, Irreversible was disturbing to me. Um, but, like, a really violent, like, action thing? No. Not, not usually. Like, uh -huh. like uh, Gaspar Noe, I find disturbing. But that's because it works on a psychological level as well as a visceral level. Um, this doesn't really like trip that switch for me in the okay. same way. I mean, I it, might, it might once it's more in context with what's happening. Like this is sort of a, a removed slice of what's happening. I'm not a big fan of killing animals in games anyway. Um, but it's not something that makes me look at it and say, like, "Oh, I don't know if this is the right time for this." Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on that. Yeah, I think I would argue though that most people aren't like you though. That oh, I would accept that media yeah. does impact them pretty heavily, and I just wonder if a lot of people and people are going to buy it no matter what. It's The Last of Us Part Two. It's Naughty Dog's new game. Blah blah blah. I mean, I would argue that to some degree, you're buying this this specific game. I think you're buying it to feel a little uncomfortable, right? Because it's yeah. not exactly sunny material. You know? I just feel like we're already there. <laughs> true. I mean, true. <laughs> it just seems like it might be piling on. Um, I just it's interesting to consider. All I mean, that might be why I'm looking more forward to Ghost of Tsushima. That's true. Like, subconsciously, it could be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how people react to this. Obviously, tons of people already know what happens. I'm not one of them. Um, and a lot of them aren't happy about it, but whatever. Uh, but anyway, I do. I'm looking down the road two weeks from now, and I'm, I'm hoping that things are a little brighter in two weeks. I guess I'll just put it that way. Um, because oh, right good now, luck with that. <laughs> I know, I know, but at least by then, maybe you know, the looting has stopped or something has been taken off the plate, so it's not just completely out of bounds. Um, I'm gonna play it, obviously, I have to, uh, but I would rather play this game when I'm not already in the state of mind that I believe it's going to put me in. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, like, I'm I more react to stuff like that, like I did with like saying Neo 2, where like. It's not that the subject matter bugs you. me. It's, yeah. it's that it's frustrating to me, and I just don't yeah. have the patience right now. Like that's how that kind of thing affects me. Yeah. Um, as long as it's well, I mean, if it's not, as long as it's not exploitative and sort of cheap grindhouse nonsense, like I'm not going to react too poorly in that regard to something like this. Especially because, like, to me, the thing that got me most interested and most engaged was the very end, the character, the character moment, yeah. um, the violence along the way is just sort of like how you get there to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I do like, I mean, I think it is interesting and, and um, I like that, that there's a human response 
when you injure someone in this game. I like that oh, she yeah. stabs that guy a couple times after that fight, and you see him sort of go, I, I react to it. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, you the hurt, animation you in this, this game is ridiculous. ridiculous. And the voice acting, like the voices yeah. as well. Like the, yeah. And as, even I think it's smart the way, like when the, when the enemies attack you, they'll say stuff, they'll make quips, or they'll like, you know, there's some trash talk, but also just sort of they talk. And like even the even the talking of um, the two WLF WLF people, uh, where like the one one woman's like, oh, I'm gonna go see. Oh, she's like, wow, you're you're dating that girl you're on patrol with. And she's like, you should totally date a soldier. Yeah, and then like he will never date a soldier because you rip his throat out five seconds later. And like I think that adds something to the consequences of the violence. And that you know they're you know making them into someone that's not just like a rando cannon fodder character and you're like well, you know this guy who was just like thinking like, oh maybe i should do that like you're watching him like sort of bleed out and scream on the ground there even though no one else hears it um well it's like the scene with the girl with the vita like she right. seems like this nice girl you know and i think ellie is like oh she's about my age we probably can mm -hmm. relate to each other tries to take it easy on her and she tries to kill her like it's and, she goes, and then the and then ellie said after that ellie says says that was stupid yeah, and I like yep. and my the thing about that line is that line was sort of running in my head for a while as Ellie was going further into the the area because I'm like, did she mean it was stupid that she killed her? Did she mean it was stupid that that the other girl tried to make a move and then that, that's that why she did? Did yeah. or did she think it was stupid because she gave the girl a chance to try something? Like that's true. Like, it could like be any could of those. Be, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like, is Ellie saying that they should, that the other girl was stupid for trying something, or is she saying she was stupid for allowing that to happen and then she had to kill her? And and she's kind of blaming herself for that girl's death. Yeah. yeah. And like almost like blaming herself as a separate person because it's like Ellie knows that if someone tries shit on her, she's going to kill them. Yeah. So her lapse in judgment there meant she, this girl had to die because that's how Ellie functions. And like the that, angle too that is dissociation that is that could be too. They said they knew each other. They Did like they? They, there was a little exchange where where I think Ellie says like something along the lines of "you again" or something like that, where they had they had at least met before. Hmm. Um, the so there was some the familiarity. Yeah, the they, they, the no, it was yeah. the it was the girl at the end that she's like, "You remember me, don't you?" And then and then oh, she gave her right. that look. Yeah. Oh, God, I I she's like, you. "Oh, you remember me?" Because yeah. the girl at the end is the girl who kisses her. Yeah. No. The girl. Not, no, it's not. No, they're no, two different huh? people. No, that's a different girl. I thought that's who they were chasing. No, I don't know the. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not the same person. Because I have a feeling I know what the plot is. I haven't seen anything about the plot. What's the I, name of the girl who kisses her? I have no idea. Oh, I don't remember her name no to clue. be honest. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway, as your point is, is that the the dialogue in this game is multi layered. It's not something that we get in a lot of video games. So some of the jankiness in the gameplay, if it's still there, some of the other smaller issues, I can generally look past that stuff because the other stuff that we're getting is so far and beyond what we usually get from games that I can overlook some of the rougher edges. Um, what are some other things? Uh, so you're talking earlier about your um, companions, um, and they basically say that they help navigate. They can tell you how to get to certain places and kind of the best path to get there. Uh, they help spot enemies, and as you saw in the footage, they also will fight alongside you in combat. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that was a real bad spot in the first game, and I'm hoping they've dedicated a lot of resources to figuring that out. Um, uh, what else? Uh, you can go prone. Um, they said that um, a lot of times you're going to be attacked by multiple threats instead of one. 
Um, which one thing I would say is, again, earlier, you could kind of hunker down and just kind of take on enemies one at a time if you were smart about it. They're saying you can't really do that in this game. Uh, and that ties into also the whole fleeing thing they were talking about earlier. If you get overwhelmed, run away. Um, or you can, as Matt was saying earlier, you can pit enemies against each other to help thin the herd. And we've seen this in other games. Um, and then let them take each other out and then come in and kind of clean it up. Um, I think we saw that with Days Gone. That was a pretty popular tactic in that game as well. Kind of get them to fight each other um, and then jump in and, and finish off what's left. Uh, crafting. Uh, the crafting system looks pretty extensive. Um, I wouldn't say that this is like bordering on an RPG or anything like that, but it certainly has more RPG elements this time than the first game did at least. And they're a little bit deeper. Um, crafting, it just seems like it's in every game now. You're going to be crafting in every action game from now until the end of Eternity. At least that seems like that's how it works. Uh, yeah, and then well, I mean, that was also in the first one. So it was. Just continuing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then player upgrades, they are, Naughty Dog is saying that you will really be able to play however you want in this game. Uh, we hear that all the time, but they're saying that they are going to give you the tools and the ability to upgrade those tools and abilities in such a way that if you want to play it all stealth in the shadows, you can. Or if you want to go guns blazing, you can do that as well. Again, that's something that's usually only borne out after the 10-hour mark in a mm -hmm. game. So the, the jury will remain out on that one for quite a while. Um, and then there, you can find parts. You can craft like proximity mines, exploding arrows. As Matt was talking about earlier, you can stick a can on a gun and you have a suppressor. Um, so really, after watching this, I don't have a lot of questions left. Do you, Matt? I mean, not that aren't related to the story. Yeah. Um, and I don't want which I guess I could. I guess I could find that out if I wanted to. But Yeah, you could. If you wanted to dig around the dark corners of the internet and find them. Um, but otherwise, it's two weeks away. Bring it on. Like It's, it's time. Um, I do hope that life is a little more lighthearted two weeks from now. So I'm in a little bit of a better frame of mind. Obviously, my studio just got flooded and there's all this other stuff going on too. So I'm not in the best frame of mind for anything right now, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so in two weeks, I can pretty much guarantee I'll be feeling at least a little bit better because the studio will be sorted by then and all that stuff. So... I'm jacked. I'm really excited to play it. I think everybody else is too. Mitch, did this presentation change your impressions of the game at all in any way? Um, I think the final chunk of gameplay uh, was nice to see the actual gameplay working because mm -hmm. um, the actual beginning part of it, we've already seen before. That was in a preview that happened when they talked about the release date for the game. So yeah. I already known about the proning and all those kinds of aspects. But to see the actual gameplay come together in a sequence um, was kind of cool. And I, I do like the, the touches that they're doing with all the elements. And, you know, I was already excited for it. But this just affirms everything going into the experience that it's going to be one, probably one of the best games of the year. Like, it's hard to see that and not think that's not what's going to happen. Well, you're again, you're a little more optimistic than I am. I never assume anything like that before I play a game, but it certainly, based upon the developer's pedigree, um, the chances of it being a good game are pretty good. So, oh, and sorry, so I don't have to wait much longer. The last thing I wanted to say, Matt, is what you were, the thing you were talking about, about the um, piece, uh, the, oh my gosh, the characters, is what their goal was, is they wanted to humanize your enemies so that you feel bad killing them. Is that that was the goal? Is what they said. I said they said this two years ago or so. Um, so it's working. Mission that's accomplished. How you feel. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to stop me. But yeah, <laughs> like well done making them seem like you know people and not like just you know dolls you have to fight through to get to your next story cutscene. 
Yep. Which is a kind of an ongoing issue with games a lot of times. That's for sure. Certainly in Uncharted. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. That's The Last of Us Part 2. I don't suspect we'll get anything else other than a launch trailer uh, before it comes out in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so it's out two Fridays from today. So, 17 days. Yeah, 17 days, and off we'll go. Finally, after all this time, we'll be playing it. Um, so pretty excited about that, and we'll obviously cover it whenever we have more here on Game Face. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Xbox Series X. At this point, you can pretty much assume on Game Face that every week we're probably going to have one PlayStation 5 topic and one Xbox Series X topic. There's just that much news coming about out about each of them every week. Uh, I think we're starting to see the marketing plans kind of click into place here because the IV drip is working. It's giving us new details every week that we can talk about, and that's exactly what they want us to do. This week, the big information from Xbox about Series X was backwards compatibility. Now, we knew way before this that... It was a big focus for Microsoft and Xbox. Um, obviously, Xbox One, the, it was probably one of the biggest things Microsoft did other than Game Pass over the last generation is how hard it worked on backwards compatibility across all the Xbox platforms. Um, and that is going to pay big dividends with Xbox Series X. So it was announced this week that there will be thousands, thousands of backwards compatible games available that will play on Xbox Series X on launch day. So that's a big, big number. And we're going to talk next about kind of what PlayStation's doing uh, in this arena. Um, but uh, thousands of games on day one for backwards compatibility on Xbox Series X. But not just that, HDR is going to be implemented in these games going back all the way back to the original Xbox. Not only that, the frame rates in these games could be doubled in some cases. It's not going to be that case with every game, but in the case of some games, the frame rate from the original version will be doubled when you play it on Xbox Series X. So obviously for shooters and things like that, that's a godsend. Fighting games makes a big difference in that genre as well. Um, Microsoft's master plan is all starting to fall into place. All the work that it's been doing for the last five years on this is about to pay dividends. The question is, how big are those dividends? Remember that survey that we looked at, Matt, about three months ago, I think it was, where backwards compatibility was not high up on people's list for why they're going to buy a new console we obviously saw with PlayStation 3, it was backwards compatible all the way back to the original PlayStation. That didn't seem to make a big difference for PlayStation 3. So obviously, Matt, Xbox is way out ahead at this uh, compared to PlayStation. But does it really matter? Um, I mean, I don't think it matters in terms of buying a new system, really. But it does matter and seems to have become... It seems to have mattered more this this generation when it comes to keeping people happy with the system they already own. Um, like, did it change, would it have changed my mind on when to buy an Xbox One to know that Red Dead Redemption 1 was backwards compatible on it with improved graphics and frame rate? Probably not. But did it make me happy when I already had one and that happened? Yes. Yeah. So, and I think the other thing, like, like that, you know, the PlayStation 3 did do a lot of backwards compatibility, but you had the issue of, uh, did everything look better? Did it make them better? No. 
it, with, a, with a few exceptions, like I think um, Vagrant Story and a couple of specific games, uh, like on PlayStation 2, did backwards compatibility where they had like a PlayStation 2 mode that you could activate and it looked a little better. Um, this is a this is a sort of a much wider and far-reaching thing. Like, and I wonder, you know, if they're saying thousands and thousands, like that's almost every game that came out for the last two Xboxes. It sounds um, like there it is every game, but they can't say every game because there might be there might be something in there, like, like five look, or six games that don't work. Yeah. Like, look, if I can stick Mech Assault Two in this thing and let it see it in it with HDR at sixty frames a second, I'm gonna be pretty pleased with that's that. That's a pretty. I don't big- know if, I don't know if I'm going to be five hundred dollars pleased with that, right. <laughs> but it's a neat party trick, I guess yeah. is what I how I describe it. And it's also like one more, you know, they they've they've done a really good job with that this gen. Like the Xbox One's backwards compatibility is one of its strongest features in terms of sort of like starting the system up and being like, oh, what should I play? Oh, play Nice Old Republic. Fuck it. Yeah, you know, like you know, even if you don't have something current to play, you can play an old favorite that looks better than it ever has. Yeah, uh, and that's a cool thing. Um, and that might be a nice way to sort of like uh, counteract the probably inevitable drought of new software going forward after, out of the launch window. Because um, it's not like they have, you know, Nintendo's launch schedule uh, where you're going to have big stuff continually coming and, and filling in those gaps. You don't have, you know, Sony's first party lineup where you're probably going to have a big game every quarter moving forward. Um, you're going to launch Halo, you're going to launch Forza, you're going to maybe have a, have Fable in there, and then we're all sort of just waiting for Hellblade, I guess. We're waiting for those 12 studios to churn yeah. stuff out, basically. And yeah. so, like, the, the ability to kind of, like, hype up the fact that you can go back to, like, an old favorite and it works even better now, um, like, that's not nothing. It's not, like, a, a reason to win the generation, but I like it. Like, I like that it's there. Yeah, how could you I like, not? Yeah. <laughs> I like that they're building on that, and I like that they're trying to, like, improve it and trying to make it more universal, while Sony seems to be having a much harder time committing to that idea. Yeah, I honestly, I put very little value in backwards compatibility. I, I have a PS3 fat. I think I used the backwards compatibility on that five times ever. Um, and, and, like, two times it was to play, like, Wheel of Fortune for PlayStation <laughs> 2 with, like, a family member. Like... I never really used it at all. And a part of that is, you know, it's been my job for 20 years to just keep moving on to the next game. I don't have time to go back and replay old games. So for me, the value of backwards compatibility is pretty nil. Um, It is nice, like, if you want to do features on older games, you need to capture footage of it. That's when it's nice to have something like that. You can just stick your old disc in there and get some footage real quick. Other than that, I don't see a lot of value in it for me, but I'm interested to hear from Mitch, because Mitch is much younger than us and wasn't playing games back in the 70s and the 80s like we were. So maybe he has a different perspective on how important uh, it is to him. Uh, Backwards compatibility for me, actually, I was writing notes about this exact thing. Uh, It mattered to me when I was a kid, though. Um, For me, because I would always be selling a console to upgrade. So the to have that backwards compatibility to be able to still play my old library was something that was really important. So when I did upgrade to my PS2 to my PS3 before, unfortunately, it got stolen when I was a kid and they no longer offered the original backwards compatibility PlayStation 3, I was pretty upset about that. Um, but, uh, I think as did I got, you use it a lot, the backwards compatibility, you yeah, did, I did. And, and also because I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of money to spend right, on games. Right. So yeah. to be able to have my old library to go back to whenever I want is really nice. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Yep. The 
But I, I think as I've gotten older, though, it doesn't matter. Like now, I don't sell my console to upgrade. Like I still have my PS3, and so I don't need to. I didn't need to sell it to upgrade. So I don't think for me it's that important. As long as I can still play it and I have the console to play it on, that's what's important to me. Like okay. it doesn't matter what form it comes in. So it sounds like really all three of us are just like it's a cool thing to have. But I mean, would mm-hmm. would any of you guys like tip your if you had could only buy one? Would it could it possibly tip your purchase decision? No. Yeah, actually, here's well, yeah, here's how it would tip the purchase decision is because like we're thinking about backwards compatibility. It's like, oh, you can play original Xbox games, you can play like old 360 stuff, and it look better. But like the real reason to make this a constant policy going forward is because everything is becoming so digitally oriented in terms of digital game sales. And if you want to sell me a new system and I can't take my library with me, fuck that. Like yeah. like that is that is the hard sell. If you if you say that all those digital games I bought from you no longer count unless I keep my old console. No, like that's not, that's not okay. And so that's why this is such a thing going forward is because if you're going to do a fully digital storefront and you're going to push digital storefront as hard as they have been both Sony and Microsoft, you got to adopt the steam model where I never lose those games. Okay. Like no matter how many times I build a new PC, my steam library is still going to be there. And that has to be what they're doing going forward too. the backwards compatibility and the original Xbox stuff is the fun part to me because I was around for those games, but it's not nearly as important as making sure all the all the Xbox One games work on yep. the new system. Yep. Meanwhile, PC gamers are over in the corner laughing at all of us right now. <laughs> like, oh, these petty things that you worry about. Although there's a lot of old PC games. Oh, there's plenty of weird shit yeah, there. You yeah, can't like, just put in a PC and play anymore as well. Try, although, th- try throwing those uh, 90s CD games in there and seeing if those... Oh, working. I tried to put Tribes in my PC like a year ago. And it wouldn't really do mm-hmm. anything. I just had to go download the client from like the internet. <laughs> it was just, the disc was like worthless. So, and now it's free anyway. So I don't even need the key or any of that stuff. But yeah, those Windows updates will kill you. Yeah, for sure. So I, I feel like backwards compatibility in general is kind of one of these things that people make a big deal about, but in practicality, they're not going to end up using much. And I think. When it comes down to it, when the rubber hits the road, I don't think they're going to be worried about, oh, I can play games for the original Xbox. They're going to be worried about how good is the new Halo versus how good is Horizon Zero Dawn 2. You know, I think that's the question everyone's going to be asking. It's definitely not a deciding factor. It's just a nice to have. Yep. Yep. So that's the news from Xbox for this week. Um, Sony was supposed to take the center stage this week, and that'll segue nicely into our next topic. Tomorrow was supposed to be a gigantic day. Or no, Thursday, Thursday was supposed to be a gigantic day. I'm, my days are all mixed up because I really thought that we weren't going to be able to do Game Face today. So I had accepted that Game Face was going to happen on Wednesday. So as I'm sitting here, in the back of my mind, I'm like, it's Wednesday. It's not. It's only Tuesday. Uh, but anyway, so on Thursday, there was supposed to be a huge PlayStation 5 blowout where we were going to get to see at least according to the CEO of Sony, we're going to get to see the first party games for the first time. Hmm. Uh, And that has now been indefinitely postponed due to the social unrest going on across America right now. Um, First of all, Matt, do you think that that was the right choice? Because sometimes stuff like this can bring people joy in times of strife. Uh, Yes, it was absolutely the right thing to do. 
Okay. Both ethically, from an ethical and like, you know, socially conscious perspective, yes, not the time. Uh, from a PR and marketing cynical standpoint, also not the time. Not a lot of mainstream news coverage of your PS5 thing is going to happen this week. So, Which do you think was the real reason it was postponed? I mean, follow the money. <laughs> if, you're, if you're being honest, I mean, I really. I ask that question, but I got to be devil's advocate. That's my job. <laughs> I mean, look, it's, you're going to spend all this money to get this thing off the ground. You want to wait until you're going to get some signal over. Yeah. over uh, yeah, and, and there is no room for that this week. Nope. So, so yeah, even if you, even if you hate the, even if you're wrong and you hate what's happening for the wrong reasons, um, you're super pro racism or whatever. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we are super but, pro racist. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know any other reason you'd be against, you'd be against <laughs> some of that. Um, like it's still a bad idea to, for Sony and everyone else to do. They should, they have to postpone it because it's not the time. No one wants to pay attention to that right now. Even if you do want to pay attention to it, like, they have a business to run, and this is not the time to do that business. Now, Jim Ryan also said that all the first-party products that they have planned, currently planned, for launch of PlayStation 5 are on time and on target. Do you think that that means that, like most PlayStation launches, there just isn't going to be that much there at launch? Or do you think that somehow they've managed to pull off amid COVID-19 and all this other insanity going on that they've managed to load up several big budget games for launch. I don't know. Like I would like to think that Sony is savvy enough to know that you got to come out of the gate swinging hard this generation, especially up this close against the Xbox series X. And you know, if you get, I mean, people make fun of halo not being the 800 pound gorilla it used to be, but it's still a pretty big launch. Oh game. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and you got to have something that kind of at least pretends to match that. So we'll see what they got. I would I would hope they don't think that they can come out with like, you know, whatever the current gen version of Fantavision is, and think that that's going <laughs> to cut it. You know, like you're going to have Rezo Gun too. Yeah, you're going to have to wow. <laughs> Which some just people would be great, by the way, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but not but what you want for launch. No, also those guys don't do those games anymore. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah, they quit making those uh, voxel games, which stinks. It sucks, um, yeah. Yeah, because it sucks because their games after that have sucked. So mm -hmm. <laughs> they should go back to the way they were doing things before. Matt, do you think that what I think is likely we're going to get one big AAA game for launch, first party AAA mm -hmm. game for launch of PS5? And I think it'll probably be Horizon Zero Dawn 2. I think it'll be. I think it'll be two. I think they'll they'll give us one big, maybe Horizon two, maybe something else we don't know about yet, like an uh, Ape Escape from and, Tokyo Studio. And they'll give us. Like and that. they'll give us Gran Turismo. Uh, I think some form of Gran Turismo will be there. Yeah, that would be a pretty good launch for PlayStation. Last of As Us PlayStation or, launches go. Yeah, that's pretty strong because they're also going to promote stuff like The Last of Us Part Two and Ghost of Tsushima mm -hmm. as uh, play these on PS5 and really have your mind blown. Right. Well, so, with the new rule that everything has to also work on PS5 as of July, uh, yeah. clearly that's you know backwards compatibility is part in, in in a sense part of their strategy too, just not in the same yeah. scale. They're way late to the party, so that's what I was getting at earlier when I said we're going to talk about what PlayStation is doing with backwards compatibility in a minute. This is what I was talking about. So this week, PlayStation said to all its partners that are making games for PS4 that every PlayStation 4 game that releases after July must also now work on PlayStation 5, which, great. Uh, it's good that they're doing that, but they should have done that like a year and a half ago. They should have had like the architecture or something they could have given their partners to help them start building their games 
in mind for PlayStation 5. Um, just doing this now, after what we just heard is going to happen with Xbox Series X, this, you're just it's you're out of your league. Well, I'm guessing that this is not the first the developers have heard of this. It's Maybe. just the first we have. Like, that's a, it's a PR statement. It's not something that no one, you know, Cerny certainly didn't go around showing people this new tech and all this fancy stuff and not mention like, oh, by the way, <laughs> like you're going to need to make all your current stuff work on this by the summer. Yeah. Um, I'm sure this was already in the pipeline. I hope um, so. So, uh, but again, and as we said with the prior topic, it's not that important. <laughs> I do think it's fairly important in terms of moving this gen's library to the next yes, gen library. But well, because, plus, because Sony promised it, it has yeah, to. Yeah, because they promised it. Also, because like, if you don't have this, you run the risk of drying digital sales up for the next six months. That's true. Like, That's why would point. if I didn't think my digital copy of whatever of Ghost of Tsushima was going to work on the PS5? why would I buy a digital copy of that in July? I would just buy a physical copy so I could trade it in when I inevitably had to buy a PS5 version of it later. This yeah. takes care of that. Um, People are in chat are bringing up all the rumors about Demon Souls, the Demon Souls remake. Yeah, I know. Demon Souls... Um, what do you think the probability of that is? Oh, 10%. Yeah. I, mean, like, I know everybody higher, thinks but... that it's like some kind of guaranteed thing, but like... Hmm... I think a Bloodborne remaster is more more likely, or just them updating updating Bloodborne, Bloodborne. so it runs yeah. with 4K textures or whatever they need to do for mm. PS5. Also, I, I know everybody likes loves Demon Souls, but it's not really that good anymore. So yeah, it, like I, I, I think it, they I think could it's fix it though. It, it could, but I think it's pretty creaky uh, comparison to the Dark Souls games and Bloodborne. I mean, describing and, uh, it as creaky, I think, is probably the best single word you could use to describe Demon Souls. <laughs> Seriously. Not even just, like, it, just everything about it. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I, it, was, it still works. Like, I mean, after yeah. I finally figured out how Dark Souls works when I did Dark Souls 2 for the review and everything, went back, played Dark Souls. I'm like, oh, I like this now. I went back and I played Demon Souls, which is the original Souls game that I was like, I don't understand. I don't get it. Yeah. And I breezed through, like, five, six hours of it without dying. Like all of a sudden yeah. it just made sense. And like, so yeah, it still works. It's still, I get it. It's still fun. But like, I don't know what that really buys you if you like remaster that now, you know, like, like there's a, there's a built-in somewhat audience for that. You probably sell one and a half, two million copies of it. Like as long as people are still interested, but like, I don't know, like it, it's, it's seem it's a little Shenmue three in terms of, of the move you're making there. And I don't know if it's worth it. Uh, and From really seems to want to just move forward and not look back on that stuff. And I don't know if I trust giving From's games to an outside company to remaster. That's right. A remake? Okay. Or no, a remaster? Okay. Yeah. A, remake? a remake? No. I feel like you are probably remaking that. Yes, exactly. Because yep. otherwise you're porting stuff for the PS3 architecture and that's a pain. Yeah. So um, they would definitely remake it. And in that case, I agree putting it and there are some good port houses out there that might be able to do a decent job on it. But I don't know if you want somebody fiddling with that formula. I don't know. I think just just give a nice big Sony funded patch to Bloodborne up, up the resolution really nice up the frame rate on the PS5, you know, fix the frame pacing problems. And then this and like just say like, here's this enjoy Bloodborne, um, enjoy Sekiro uh elden ring is coming just hang on you know like i don't know i don't know if demon souls buys you the the cachet that everybody thinks it will in the hardcore circles i just i i don't think it's that valuable i think they probably sell want, a few million copies i think people just want that all the souls games in one place which i understand yeah. Yeah. um but like 
I don't, I can't imagine Sony feels that's a priority. Me either. But at the Me same either. time, if it's a quick and dirty thing, they figure out how to do it. Is something to fill out a launch lineup slot. So who knows? Yep. But I just don't. I don't expect it. I've never expected it. I don't think it's coming. But when when do you think uh, PlayStation will reschedule its event for? You think they'll wait I'm, a month? You think they'll wait like next week? I have no idea. Like I think next week's too soon. Um, I think they're just going to play it by ear and see what happens moving forward. You know, if if uh, the unrest dies down and some some you know some kind of like real discussion is had and and people feel progress is made and it feels like a time you can you know release a big game system blowout and people aren't going to look at you like you're being tone deaf. Like sure, but I don't know when that'll be. Yeah. Like I would think we'd probably see it before Ghost of Tsushima comes out, but. Yeah, I'm I'm done trying to predict what 2020 is going to do. <laughs> yeah, that's a fool's errand. <laughs> Isn't it funny to go back and look at everyone's 2020 predictions? Nobody yeah. could have ever predicted. Like that. that tweet says, everyone everyone who had the interview question five years ago about where do you see yourself in five years was wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they were really wrong. <laughs> I just I just hope that Sony does their does the has a chance to do the presentation uh, before the Yellowstone super volcano blows up. Yeah, because <laughs> that's probably coming too. Let's be honest. <laughs> that's all that's left. That's July. August is Godzilla. September, the aliens arrive. Like it's just gonna keep going. Well, October, that's wave two of COVID. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna keep on rolling. Can't get out of this year soon enough. Um, I, I think probably a month delay is probably how long it'll be. They can't wait that much longer. I mean, they're a few months out from launch at this point. So, um, I would think a month max. Um, I would say. Probably before the end of June, I think we're going to get it. I mean, I, I'm sure they prefer to do it in the June 20s, yeah. somewhere in there. Um, kind of, you know, let Last of Us come out and give it a few days of hype and then, you know, reveal and some stuff. Kapow. A few days yeah. later, June 25th, something like that. Yep. Um, I don't know what day that is, actually. But um, but again, you don't know what what the world will be doing there's no way to know there really isn't it's harder to predict now than ever yeah, but if i had to guess they would i would think sony would be kind of like tentatively thinking okay we'll we'll push it like three weeks yeah. and see what's happening i'm like i'm like i don't know the, the the 25th or so and and if everything's still terrible or things are differently terrible uh they'll make <laughs> they'll make that call then yep Okay, let's move on. We're going to talk now about Switch. I will say this. Switch is not getting as much airtime in Game Face as it has for the last couple years. Things I've mentioned it in the last couple shows that things are really kind of starting to slow down. Um, and Nintendo has tried to take the brunt of that, take the edge off of that by re-releasing old games. Um, and most of them have been Wii U games that they would then retitle as whatever, whatever deluxe and then release it on Switch. However, Xenoblade Chronicles is a little different, and that's because it was originally a Wii game and not a Wii U game, and the title is not Xenoblade Chronicles Deluxe, it's Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Um, this game, how many years old is this? Is it 11? 10. Older. 10. It's a decade old. It was also ported to the 3DS, and if you remember... Not um, tremendously successfully, but yes. Yeah, well, it ran at like 10 frames a second. Yeah, it was, it was rough. And in that, you had to have the hyper-powered 3DS with the little analog nub to even play it. Yeah, so, one of the few only on new 3DS games. 
Yep, it was one of the few. And so very few people played that because nobody had that version of the 3D. Look, man, I love this game, and and I only got like an hour <laughs> into that version. It's just, it's painful to it's play. It's pretty it. much unplayable, yeah, yeah, for the most part. So Nintendo did us all a solid, and it has, I don't know how to describe it, if this is a remaster or, it's a remaster. It's a remake. Is it a it's remake? 100%. They remade the whole game in the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 engine. Did they? Yeah, okay. that's what this is. Is the Xenoblade Chronicles Two engine? So that's why all the character character models are different. All the all the landscapes are the same but different. Like they rebuilt the entire game in the new engine. Okay, so this is a remake. Then this isn't yeah. just a remaster. Um, they didn't change anything that I can. Well, they did. See. They changed there's some stuff. Prologue of, now. They've changed a lot of stuff. There's actually. an epilogue. The prologue. Epilogue. The prologue's yeah. the same, but they, but that's a separate thing. You have to pick from the menu. Yeah, um, and like they the tell you to wait till you finish it before you yeah, jump in. Yeah, the main game is pretty much the same right down to the animation choices. Uh, although the facial animation is much better in this. Um, Menus, way better. Yeah, they improved a lot of that. They improved a lot of the quest tracking. Um, it's a pl- more playable Waypoints. game now. Oh my gosh. It's like, to me, it's like night and day. Um, and one thing we should say before we start discussing this in depth is that Xenoblade Chronicles was one of the highest reviewed games on the Wii. It was top mm-hmm. five easily. And that's only and it was only in the top five because you had games like Super Mario Galaxy and Super Mario Galaxy 2 that are in there with it. So um, it was reviewed extremely highly. So and I did play it back then. I think I actually played the European version. Yeah, I imported the European version. Yeah, and you can tell that this game was localized in Europe because they like the text says like whilst. <laughs> and like, yeah, it's very done, Brit- very British, and all the voice actors are British stage actors, um, which is nice because you uh, haven't heard them before a thousand yeah. times. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I did play it back then, and it's it was a gigantic game then. It's a gigantic game now, and I had forgotten how good this game is. Not completely mm-hmm. because I did remember it was one of the best games on Wii. I remembered certain key plot points from it. But a lot of it I had completely forgotten, and I have been completely blown away by this game. This game is freaking amazing. Yep. It is. It deserves every accolade it has ever received. And I will say this, too. This remake is great. They did a yep. really... It looks way better than I ever thought it was going to. Like It's, it's actually titled correctly. It is yeah. the definitive edition. It absolutely game. is. Um, and, you know, just... I had forgotten how cinematic the game was. Like, I didn't remember the original having as many cinematics and cutscenes and voice acting as it has. Um, And all the cutscenes, very well directed, very well shot. I will say this. Very little wasted space. Like, that's one of the things that I keep, I keep, like, coming back to playing this after playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. There's no weird pausing. There's no weird grunting. There's no weird, like the conversations don't last five lines longer than they should because everybody feels the need to restate what was already said in the scene over and over again, like they do in, in final fantasy seven and square stuff. Like it's just, they get them, they get the information across. It's a normal human conversation. Nobody goes oh, over and over. And like, <laughs> they just fucking get on with it. Like it's, Dude, it's this, great. this game is so much better than the final fantasy seven remake. It's like, it, they're just a different classes. Well, this is, opinion. I mean, I think Xenoblade, even before this, I think Xenoblade Chronicles one is one of the best JRPGs ever made. Uh, it would make my top 25 of all time lists easily. Um, it's, uh, you know, this is, I've been waiting for this for months. Like, like, uh, 
as you know, the, the one the one upside of the quarantine being extended into June was like, well, at least I can play Xenoblade in a couple of weeks. Um, and I've re- yeah, I've really been enjoying it. I played this game twice fully before. I played it on the Wii when it came out, and I played it on Dolphin emulator. Uh, I think this is better. You know, I know people are saying that it's better to play it on Dolphin even than the remake because uh, on Dolphin it's like you can get 4K and like 60 frames per second and stuff, and that's true, but it still doesn't look this good. Like you, you don't have the the redone character models and the redone facial animation. Um, this is a better experience, I think. It's amazing. It's a great, great game. Um, and the streamlining of the menus, like and the and the quest stuff, and and how, the quality like, of life stuff is yeah, so all the, all that stuff is great to the point that I am comfortable finally telling people that don't play a lot of games like this, you need to play this game. Yeah, because, because one so, thing I do remember about the first game is at a certain point I stepped away from it for a few days, and then I went back to it, and I felt completely like, where lost. Where am I? I was I like, guess. where am I supposed to go? What am I? And like, just and there's adding, no hints, and there's yeah. And now sure. this one, this one, all you do is pull the right trigger. And it pops up the main quest and your whatever side quest you're on, and tells you exactly what you need to do. And it's great. Yep. And the everything about this game is great. the uh, The story is freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Like they, again, I had forgotten how good it was. The writing in this is really good. I did you even after I had played it years and years ago, I still had forgotten about one of the plot twists and was like blown away again by the plot twist. <laughs> like it's nobody in the game is sacred. Anybody can die. Um, it. It's just amazing. The combat. Let's talk about the combat. Because there's really no game like it, to be honest with you. Can mm. you think of another game that plays this way? Well, I mean, Xenoblade 2. Well, yeah. Right? But, but like, <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat derived from Final Fantasy XII. Is um, it? Yeah, the kind of the MMO-style, like, semi-real-time auto-attacking combat. Like, it's not super far off that. But this is a more, more direct interaction in the sense of like you know being to the side and being behind the enemies does different damage depending on what your moves are and like combine, trying to, you know it's just like xenoblade 2 chronicles 2 in the sense that you're trying to combine moves that do the break and then you can topple them and then you daze them and you try to like synergize everybody's special moves to yeah. like get an advantage over the enemy i think the what the place that the thing that this game does better than it's than xenoblade chronicles 2 is xenoblade chronicles 2's battles last for freaking ever like they just go, like you're still doing the same thing, but you're doing it over and For over and over and long. over. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you can topple even a powerful enemy in Xenoblade Chronicles One, like you're probably gonna win after that topple. Like you, you, oh, you yeah. actually damn, yeah, you, you got them basically. Yep. But like I, you know, I went back to Xenoblade Two a couple of uh, like a month or two ago just to kind of like re- refresh, um, and like even like random fights, like not like boss fights, not story fights, just like got in a fight with a couple of tigers on the way somewhere. The fight's like five minutes long. Like I'm knocking, <laughs> no the, knocking them over 14 times. And then I'm just like, get on with it. Like, no, thanks. And you're like, yeah, I, you know, eventually like I, you know, I was looking up stuff. Am I doing something wrong? Is it not? And people are like, Oh, early on until like, you know, 30 or 40 hours in. Yeah. You're going to have a problem doing something. You just, you just want to avoid them. If you can only have fights that you have to fight. And I'm like, that's no way to do that. Um, and especially because, like, the strength of the Xenoblade games is exploration and the world. Like, the world that all three of the games create is fascinating and interesting to run around in. I think Xenoblade Chronicles X does it the best, mm. um, just because it's so huge and weird and alien, and you get the mech to fly around and do all that. I mean, that's, I do hope Xenoblade Chronicles X gets a Switch port 
at some point, like a port or a remake, whatever they want to do. Uh, you would kind of lose something by having to put all the, the, the gamepad stuff on screen, sort of the yeah. way Wonderful 101 did. Mm-hmm. But it would be better than leaving that game trapped on the, on the Wii U, I think. Yep. Um, uh, so before we get too much further, I do want to explain like the basics of how the combat mm-hmm. works. So as Matt said, your basic attack and if you're playing a shulk, that's a sword swipe, is on like a cooldown. And it just happens automatically. And so if you stand still, your guy's just going to attack with his sword on a timed yeah. beat. It's like an MMO. Yeah, it's a like little bit. Warcraft. And then while he, you're waiting for that cooldown, you can strafe around the enemies because it also, as Matt said, different attacks have more power based upon your orientation to the enemy. So if you attack from behind, you'll get bonus damage. Or some of them, if you attack from the side, you get bonus. Some, if you attack from the front, you get bonus damage. So the positioning is very important. And then along the bottom of the screen, you have like a list of all your attacks and they're called arts. And basically all you're doing during combat, I don't even look at the screen a lot of the times when I'm playing, when I'm in combat in this game, to be perfectly honest, because what you're doing is you're selecting your attacks from the bottom. And as Matt said, the order matters because um, you're trying to essentially disable the enemy and quote unquote, knock them down. And there's a couple different ways that you can do that. And it's more likely to do that if you are using your attacks in smart order um another thing that you may want to do is if you have like one art that buffs your attacks you probably want to fire that off before you select your attack that does the most damage so after you've toppled somebody you want to select that one that buffs your attack then choose your biggest attack massive damage and it goes deeper than that because you you can start chaining your attacks with your teammates so there's a big thing in the center at the bottom of the screen and typically that that tells you when you can use your special sword that works especially well on mechanical enemies. And I don't, again, I'm trying not to spoil any, any of the plot. Um, but also, that is also the same space that tells you when you're ready to do a chain attack. Um, so you can cycle down, get to that, hit A, and then you start selecting attacks from each individual member of your party. And if you choose the same orientation or the same colors, then they get both. There's so many layers to this game. But I would say this. I have never really had to use positional combat. I've made it through the whole game just attacking enemy every enemy dead on. I could probably do it faster if I bother to go to the side for the attack that does better on the side or go behind. But the game in general is really easy. Would you agree with that, Matt? Um, it depends on what you're attacking and what you're fighting. Like in general, if you stick to the main story or you stick to kind of the, the beaten path and don't attack the level 80 guy that's wandering around right, the right. open field, yeah, you're not going to run into too many problems. Um, I think, uh, some of the bosses get a little more challenging once you get into the realm, once you, they unlock the time, the time vision yep. thing yeah where like because because one of the the features of the sword that Shulk uses the Monado, which is a kind of the, the, the amazing magic sword that is rumored to be the sword that the Bionis, the big god of of bio life used well, to destroy the Mechonis. On a Titan. So the whole game, yeah. you're actually on this gigantic creature. And the quest is to go from the bottom of the creature up to its head. And well you gotta get over to the Mechonis because there's two creatures that like right. there's a there's a bio, bio, Bionis. Bionis and Mechonis. One's like made of bionic biomaterial, the other is a mechanical thing, and the mechanical creatures from the Mechonis are invading 
your your bionis, yeah. your titan and yep. so you're kind of going up but the initial thing is to go up there up the up to the knee i mean they all know what they live on like they're all <laughs> saying so like we'll funny. go up to the bionis live on knee. the leg yeah <laughs> and they go up and like eventually you got to get to where the big fight happened like a year ago which was on like the 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 mechanis's sword is stuck in the bionis's like torso yeah. and so that's like a bridge between the two and that's where a lot of the fighting happens in, in the war between the the mechanis and the and the bio, people who live in the bionis the mechons yeah and um and Shulk's sword is like the only thing that can defeat the Mechons, basically. That's what I was hinting at earlier. But that's what he's after. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other thing, one of the other things he can do is he can see it through time. Like he can yeah, see he can the immediate see ahead, future. ahead of time, yeah. And they use that in the story a lot. There's a lot of like, he thinks this person's going to get killed by this thing, so he has to change the future. But it also functions Some great writing around that, by the way, Matt. There yeah. are a couple scenes of, around that where he sees a vision where I was like, wow, this is Xenoblade Chronicles? Like, that scene actually had some heft to it. Wow. Yeah, they, they use that real well. Yeah. And, uh, but they also use it as a gameplay element where... Yep. If a, an enemy is going to fire off a really damaging or a deadly attack, you'll see it. Like he'll see a vision of it happening, and then you'll have a certain amount of time to do something that will counteract that attack. And there's like three different kinds of attacks that can throw at you in three different specific ways to counter them. And so that kind of leaves you, and like, or you can go over and warn the person that's yep. going to get hit by it, and then you can ch- you take control of them and can like kind of pick. Move so, them you out the to, way, yeah. so you have you have to either move them out of the way or know that they have a move that could defeat that and when like Shulk doesn't, that kind of thing. Or you can take so control you really, of Shulk and just pile on damage on the enemy so that it interrupts the attack. That you can it do that like, with certain attacks, yeah. So, yeah. so it's, there is a paper, rock, scissors element to kind Definitely. of how you get out of those situations. And it's, that only really happens with more powerful enemies and bosses. So like, But it is a way to kind of like... I like it because it a changes things up and keeps you on your toes in a game that is fairly easy when you're talking about just fighting the, the general trash enemies. Yeah. And B, like it actually takes a fairly like powerful and complex element of the narrative and turns it into a functional and interesting gameplay element, which like yeah. doesn't it happen a lot, a lot in these games. More often than like, it yeah. does. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. I, I'm I will say I have fallen in love with this game again. Mm-hmm. I Really, I was like, okay, I'm probably going to play it for four hours just to check out all the improvements and the changes. I kind of knew where like the first big pivotal story beat was. And I was like, I'll play to there. Uh, and no, like I got to that and I just blew right past it and just kept going. I'm now over 20 hours into it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, so first night it came out, I you know, it went live, I think at 9 p.m. our time. And I played it till four in the morning. It's like, great. I, I, I haven't done that in like, I haven't played anything till four in the morning since this lockdown started. I just haven't had it have the interest in me, but it's the first game probably in months that I've really held my attention. I stuck with the whole time. It's great. God, go buy it. Go buy it right now. If you own a switch and you don't, you don't have anything to play right now. Go buy it. <laughs> you, you don't, we all know you, nobody has anything to play right now. I wholeheartedly recommend this RPG, um, especially if you like JRPGs. Although I would also argue that, this isn't really like the stereotypical JRPG. It doesn't feel like it to me. The art style does. And I will say this. My wife was in the room while I played it for many, many hours over the weekend. And she said to me, she goes, what is this game? And I was like, it's Xenoblade Chronicles. I knew she had no idea what that meant. Hmm. And she goes, it sounds like an old game. And I was like, what do you mean? Hmm. And she's like, I don't know. It just sounds like one of the games you played back in like the 90s. And I was like, interesting okay <laughs> i didn't know how to process that but i don't feel that way like it doesn't really it definitely doesn't feel like an 11 year old game like again 
I'm enjoying it more than the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which just came out. So mm-hmm. um, I highly recommend it. I know a lot of you guys maybe were are too young to where the Wii just kind of passed you by or maybe games like that when you were that age weren't didn't interest you well it was also like a that, it was a weird release because it came out in 2010 in Japan yeah I think later that year maybe 2011 in Europe but in America they were never they, Nintendo America never planned to bring it here and then that Operation Rainfall thing happened and like yeah. that got that got Reggie off his ass I guess to do that and they did eventually bring it here in 2012 two years after it came out in Japan um, but it was a GameStop exclusive here, and like a lot of people didn't even know it came out because they didn't advertise it properly. Um, it was a weird. If you're in America, there's a pretty good chance you never got to play Xenoblade Chronicles One, and you definitely um, didn't play it on the 3DS. So uh, you, I hope you didn't because it was terrible. Yeah. Um, but this is your chance. This is by f- the best it's ever been. Um, I know like there's been like weird stuff about how like the, the resolutions bad or low or something or like a. I just don't. I haven't seen it. Like it. it I didn't it, see it either. Like on handheld, it's pretty. It's like five it drops to five forty sometimes. Oh, the hand. Oh, um, we didn't even bring that up actually. On handheld, it looks. It does look terrible. I mean, yeah. I would never play a game like this on handheld anyway. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't use handheld for stuff. Anymore, but I will say this: are too small. The text is too it's, small. It's sub ten eighty p most of the time, even docked. But so was Xenoblade Chronicles two. Like it's the same, yeah. it runs pretty much the same as two did. And I thought two looked good. I, I hate yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles two, but I thought it looked fine the whole time. And this looks just as good and doesn't have all the stupid anime waifu crap in it. So, like, yeah. uh, I, I, it's not as embarrassing. Like, I don't think it's embarrassing to play in front of people, unlike uh, 2 and arguably X, because X does have a little bit of uh, afternoon anime series to it. The only embarrassing part of playing this game, and it wasn't like that with my wife. It wasn't like she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're playing this. And I didn't feel that way either. But one thing that was embarrassing is there's a female character in the game. And you're constantly like getting new armor and gear to mm. upgrade your characters with. And I got to a point in the game where the most powerful armor that she could have was a black bikini. <laughs> and that's it. And literally for the next seven hours after I got that black bikini, I never got armor that was more powerful. It's like the game forced me to put her in a black bikini for like four hours. Well, well you can just change the cosmetic look. Yeah, you can change the color or whatever. Well, no, like, you can ch- completely change everything. Well, yeah, you can ch- you choose the outfit the stats of the armor. Still are the stats yeah, that's still the all whole, the same? That's the whole point. Uh, like okay. the, bottom, the bottom section down there, that's new. That is new. Uh, the bottom section down there where like you can change the cosmetics it literally has every single piece of armor you've ever picked up in the game you can switch them to to oh, visually look like that, that whenever you want i wasn't aware of that um, well i mean I there's a lot of other people in a black bikini for five there's a lot of other people that just put her in that black bikini as cosmetically forever you know there's there's, there's <laughs> people who are the opposite of us <laughs> That's um, true. but yes there is a period where i'm like i i didn't use that too much because i do in games i do like to use more or less the the visual of the armor i have equipped but at a certain point i'm like you know what i'm gonna give everyone pants because like, <laughs> yeah. I, I hit that part not just with her but with uh, with um, Ryan like Ryan oh. basically his best armor I had for a while was like basically a speedo like and I'm like you know what everybody needs to be wearing pants it's yeah. it's not that warm out <laughs> well she had actually ended up looking like Wonder Woman because yeah. they also had a literally Tiara. identical yeah. to Wonder Woman Tiara and she has dark hair shoulder length she looked like Wonder Woman that's what I told myself anyway uh, Mitch. You spent some time with this. You didn't get to spend a ton of time with it, but what were your impressions of it? And did you play the original back in the day? No, I didn't play the original back in the day. Um, I got about 
two hours in. I played uh-huh. two side missions, and basically where the B-roll ends is where I okay. basically got to. Um, but I I enjoyed it. I played Xenoblade Chronicles 2 before, and my best friend, I watched him play Xenobra- Xenoblade Chronicles X. So okay. I have some experience with the franchise. Um, the combat, it was, it was good. I'm, I definitely am intrigued with the story, and so I'll keep playing it. So Erebus Jones asked, uh, if you only have a Switch Lite, is it worth getting? I would say no. Um, I would agree with that. I do not play a lot of Switch games in handheld mode in general. I do use it. Like for Pokemon, I played the bulk of that game actually in handheld mode. Some games I do. Uh, But for action games, anything that has like a lot of text on screen that you need to read, I generally stay away from it. So in this game in particular, there's lots of text, lots of menus, um, lots yeah. of. The, the I mean, if you really only busy. play, if you only play Switch Lite, you might not notice. That's true. Actually, so. you may just be used to it. Um, for me, I would never play it in handheld mode. But. Like, I w- it's not ideal. I guess on the on the other hand, like if you have never played it before, you should play it. Yes. Like, if if, if you got a Switch Lite, like, yeah, you should probably still play it. You, you'd be ready for like some squinting at the text and stuff and some of the menus, but. I think it's worth putting up with that to play the game. The other thing I would say, I'll, too, I'll, rever- I'll reverse my position. I think it is still worth it. It's just okay. not ideal. The other thing I would say too, is that, um, is, is that the, uh, the combat, as I was saying earlier, like you don't really even need to watch it to be honest with you. Like when I'm in combat, I just look at the row of my attacks at the bottom and I'm just waiting for the cooldowns to finish and just ding, 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 bing. Ding, ding, like ding, I said, bing, it's an MMO. Ding, ding, bing. Yeah. That's how yeah. MMO combat. I know you don't play MMOs much, but yeah, like that is like basically this, the combat in this is basically an MMO with, with single player, like okay. down to like, you got a tank and, you know, Ryan is, is drawing aggro and Shulk's hitting from behind for extra damage and you don't want to hit them too much or they'll turn around and attack Shulk. And like, yeah, it's really very MMO, you know, just like, uh, just like Final Fantasy 12 was. The other but, thing we should add is this game, and we're not exaggerating, is like a hundred hours long. Yeah, it's big. I have played 20 hours and having played it before and knowing where I am, I'm not even 30% into the game. So no, it's, it's, you get your money's worth. Oh yeah. Sure. And then, as we said earlier, they do add on a little extra section of the game that you're supposed to play after you finish the main campaign. I don't know if a lot of people are going to want to go back for more after 100 hours, but if you do, it's there. So it is a really, really good value and a really, really good game. The side quests also, I would argue, aren't completely inane and stupid. Um, The other thing I like about it is that you can take as many side quests as you want, and then they all just pile up, and then you just totally subconsciously, accidentally complete quests throughout the whole game. You'll meet somebody, and you'll realize, oh my gosh, I got that quest from you like eight hours ago, and here you are, and here's those things that you asked for. Please take them and give me my XP. They also um, added a thing where like, because there's tons of ob- items to pick up, just like around the world, there's all these kind of weird little bugs and plants and things. And sometimes you need them later for a quest to turn in. Um, And in the original game, that was a problem because it just meant you couldn't sell anything because you didn't know what you're going to need later. This version, the new definitive edition, adds a way for Shulk to, if you pick up something you might need for a quest later, like the game will give you like a flash forward of needing them for the quest so you know not to sell them. Yep. Um, It'll show a little cutscene, actually, of them being like, I needed one of these. (laughs) So there really is a lot of quality of life improvement. Also, I I may be wrong. It's been a long time since I I think 20, I think five years since I played it 
like fully on Dolphin, but like if I remember correctly, you couldn't like if you get a tons of side quests in this one, and you go to an area where like a bunch of the side quest objectives are, the map, the mini map, and the main map will show you exclamation points for all oh, yeah. the things you need to do. If I recall correctly, in the original version, you only saw the exclamation point for the quest you had active. Yeah. So yep. oh, you can be surrounded by stuff you needed to do and have no idea. So this game is much it. better about that. Yep, it's better in every way. In every yeah. way, um, I wholeheartedly recommend it. I don't think you're gonna regret buying it if you like RPGs, um, and if you don't play a lot of MMOs like me, the combat will seem really fresh to you. Um, I did not pick up on that though, and I have played MMOs. But now, in hindsight, I can kind of understand what, where you're coming from with that. No, it's, no, it's very, it just feels like very things are. It, I haven't played a lot of recent MMOs, so maybe times it has changed, and I haven't played deep into any MMO. I mean, ever. it's not it's not like Everquest, but it is like what it's basically what what Warcraft became, World of Warcraft became, and like kind of the standard MMO model is exactly what you're describing. Tank and spank is what they call it. Like you're just looking at your bar, you know your rotation of, of abilities, you're waiting for those cooldowns to hit so you can hit the thing again and move on to the next one. Like that's entirely what MMO gameplay is. Yeah, I know. So. But do MMOs like link stuff together the way this game does? Where it can. Like, it does, they do. Where like, like, you know, you, you'll select in a specific order, you'll get more damage and stuff like that. Yeah, with your own abilities and sometimes with uh, with uh, like party member abilities. Yeah, like you know, people. You, that's that's what the whole party dynamic is about. Like you guys set them up, then you hit them with the AOE, then some. You know, more dots. More. Okay, enough dots. <laughs> you know, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's very much an adaptation of, of that, except you know, you can play the single player, and it feels it feels a little more visceral to me in this game because you know it's not as stilted as the average MMO yeah. is. You know, it you feels feel like you're really... You feel the combat in, in yeah. this game. You don't feel disconnected from it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the advantage of having it be single player and having it all take place offline is you don't have to deal with matching everybody up so you're all seeing the same thing. You just latency and all Make that. it work. But it's... But, you know, this, it, was, it was kind of a trend then. Like, there was sort of an experimentation in that direction in Japan, especially of like, oh, maybe we could do MMO-style combat in single-player games. And it didn't really go anywhere because MMO-style combat isn't generally very fun. Um, but I think they did come up with something pretty special in this, and they have carried it forward through two more games, and uh, it more or less still works. So I do. Uh, it did seem to do pretty well. I think I saw it was uh, when I when I was looking at the downloads on the store. It was like the number three or number four down, most downloaded game on the eShop. Yeah, you, um, in the UK sales, it did pretty well too. So I'm, so. I'm hoping you know, hoping this prompts more, uh, and I think it maybe will, if I, I'm hoping it sells better than than two. So they get away from the stupid hardline weird anime uh -huh. boob stuff and you yeah. can just make a freaking video game again yeah um because because I, I this this game i think is head and shoulders the best in the series um especially i'd agree now. with that yep i definitely agree with that and it's the first <laughs> it's supposed yeah, to get better as time usually, goes yeah, on that's not usually how that works but here we are <laughs> it's really weird uh so anyway that's xenoblade chronicles definitive edition for switch that's two thumbs up from matt and i i think if uh Mitch had a little more time to play. He'd probably uh, pile on with us. Um, it, it's worth full price. You're going to get your money's worth. Great RPG. If you love RPGs, don't miss it. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about Hideo Kojima. We are we are now in the honeymoon period after hmm. Death Stranding. The PC version has been announced, leaked, and then announced, and it's coming up soon. Um, and this week, a publication called Live Door News, oddly enough, managed to snag an interview with Hideo Kojima. And they asked him some really good questions, honestly, uh, and stuff that people really want to know about what's going on with him. So 
probably the first thing that I should bring up is that Death Stranding has broken even. It has made back all its development costs with the PC version still left to go. So the, um, the, the assumption is that the PC version will just be all straight profit for Sony uh, once that version comes out. First of all, Matt... I don't think you'd be surprised that it broke even, but are you surprised that it had to be asked if it broke even? I mean, not really. Like That was probably I, a humbling question for him to get. True. One that I true. think he may have never gotten his life. Um, not recently, anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not since Boktai. Right. Which no one <laughs> cared if that game broke even. Tile! Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I really enjoyed the pre. I didn't like that game very much, but I really enjoyed the press conference presentation. Yeah, um, we, we had a good time that day. I remember we that. We did. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me really, especially in the wake of having actually played the game, because um, I do believe fairly strongly that a lot of the sales of Metal Gear Solid, the last few entries, were riding on the fact that it was Metal Gear Solid. Um, and not that it was like something that people really desperately wanted to play in their millions. Also, because like his stuff hasn't, his stuff doesn't sell like Spider Man or Last of oh, Us. Oh no, it never. It has. sells Dark Souls numbers. Yeah, um, which used to be crazy huge, but yeah, it's not, not anymore. anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, the so, sales and, of his games really has not have not grown with the market. No, no, it hasn't. Um, and they're still fine, but yeah. like. I think that's one of the things Konami had a problem with was like he just wasn't worth the trouble anymore. Because it, they needed thirteen million gold to rationalize the amount of time and money he was spending making the games. Yep. And so this like especially because like look, Death Stranding is really boring. And like i I didn't it get all the way through defenders. it. <laughs> it does have its defenders, but like and I get that there's sort of an, an aesthetic element to it. And like, yeah. it's not like it wasn't oddly hypnotic to play, to wander across the landscape and deliver boxes to people. Yeah, it had its charm, um, for sure. And especially in, in, in the era of this like pandemic lockdown, it's like, all right, I guess that's actually more timely than I thought it was. A, a, a guy who has to go out in the middle of a plague, plague land and <laughs> run around and deliver people. He's basically an Amazon simulator at this uh, point. Um, that's funny. But like, does it surprise me that, that it didn't really hit it big with the mainstream not really i mean it's, it's i don't think word of mouth on this uh extended to like my casual friends even if i liked it more i don't think i would have told all my casual friends like yeah run out and buy this delivery simulator like where you can't get rained on too much like it's just bizarre are you surprised um, it broke even a little bit yeah like I, I thought maybe it would sell i mean I, I know kojima has some cachet in the hardcore realm so it had some momentum there and or some inertia at least um I, I'm a little. I guess I'm surprised it broke even. Not in the sense that I, that it sold as much as it did, but I'm a little surprised that Kojima didn't spend more than I thought he did. Well, he also got the game done in a decent amount of time. That's true. Which the, big, is, the biggest cost in game development is paying people to be there and work on it. So the shorter yeah. you take, the more money you save. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing the budget for Death Stranding was probably half of Metal Gear Solid Five. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, I don't know what Metal Gear Solid 5's budget was, but I know how much they spent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those are two different things. Yeah, they are. Um, and yeah. Metal Gear Solid 5 was the last straw, pretty much, for Konami because of how long that took. Yep. Um, Death Stranding, I mean, look, Death, it's not like Death Stranding feels like it didn't accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. So it surely proves, at the very least, even though I didn't really like the concept all that much, um, or the execution, for that matter, um, 
I still think it's a solidly made game. So it proves that he can work on that normal schedule. Yep. Um, I, I think it, I think overall the experience was probably good all around for everybody who, you know, like Sony, you think learned, for Sony it was, I think probably, I mean, Sony learned that they can work with Kojima and he can get this product done in a timely manner. And it, it, it worked. I mean, I, I, I don't think if I were Sony, I would be like, well, we're never going to work with you again. Like he still churned out a quality product with a for kind sure. of a weird concept. Um, but I, if I were Sony, I'd be kind of like, Hey, what if, what if you did that again, but maybe a little more conventional idea this time, you know, like maybe, now, maybe now Matt, here's an added wrinkle to all of that. And that is mm -hmm. that in that same interview, Kojima shared that his next project was just canceled and that he has to go back to the drawing board for his next game. Oh, well, maybe Sony did change their mind. then. Do you think that canceled game was Death Stranding 2? Maybe. Um, like, I don't know where else you go with that, though. You know what I mean? I like, How do you make a sequel to that? Like, um, I don't want to play you, it again. So you, you set it in, you set it in Europe and have <laughs> then you get the guy know. who played get the guy who played Rick in Walking Dead to be in it this time. Like I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's kind of a one shot pony. Really. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like there was more to say there. Yeah, it didn't so feel. Maybe it didn't PlayStation feel like you could create a universe. Way. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. Or maybe it was a, something original. That although if he had something original, I mean, the only thing that he would have to start over from scratch with is if the original idea he was working on for Sony was owned by Sony, which doesn't sound like something Kojima would agree to. Yeah, but he did say that they do have the money for their next project, and that you know, once the PC version of Death Stranding comes out, it should make some money. And then the final thing that he said was all the rumors swirling around about him or PlayStation working on old Konami properties are not true. Mm -hmm. um, which we've heard that from Konami. Now we've heard it from him. But from everywhere else, it's a different story. Um, so I don't know that I put a lot of weight in him saying that because that's what he needs to say right now. Right. I, I mean, I, I pretty much believe that. I never thought he was working on another Metal Gear or any, anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't believe that either. Um, the thing at, from the Konami rumors that I knew was going to have some actual meat to it was the Silent Hill thing. Because of Silent um, Hills and um, And just, just and from some things I'd heard. And like, oh, I so, did, so stuff you heard as well. And I hadn't heard anything about the other Konami properties that people were propping up in that same rumor mill. So okay. if, you, if you recall, go back to that show where we talked about that and then Konami, and Konami denied all of it. You're, you were like Castlevania. I'm like, yeah, is it Metal Gear. Yeah, it's not Metal Gear. It's Silent Hill. Mm. You know, yeah, like I, was, I had a very different response to Silent Hill, and now we're seeing why. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I I I believe him um, that he's not working on any Konami properties. I yeah, I do. I I don't think he'd want to. I think he just no, wants I agree. to make his I own games. He, yeah. yeah, I think he wants to do his own thing. He's had enough of that shit. Like he's worked on Metal Gear all the for most of his adult life. He. He put his hand in the in the Castlevania pool and tested that water, and it was it, you know turned out okay. But I feel like yeah. he he feels he's done it, um, and I would agree with him on that. Like I don't think there's any reason to go back to that well, uh, and uh, I think uh, a lot of his ideas for Silent Hill probably got expressed in Death Stranding, so I don't think he'd want to go back to that. That's true. So now he did say that he's working in the realm of horror. Mm -hmm. um, that. Certainly is Silent Hill. Um, I guess we'll see if Norman Reedus shows up again because <laughs> clearly that was something <laughs> then we'll they know. talked about. <laughs> then we will know. Um, Norman first, Reedus wants to put himself through that again, rather, yeah. I guess I should say. 
Like, look, I'm glad that they made Death Stranding. I'm glad that there's a game like that out there. Uh, I think it helps expand the art form and helps other developers think about things in interesting ways. I think it helps players have a yeah. different perspective on the games that they play. I mean, However, I'm glad they did it just because it seems to have done a lot of work uh, to improve the, the Gorilla engine. Yeah, uh, so it will, it will make Horizon Zero, two, Zero Dawn 2 two better. So, Good point. Which is all Good I point. really care about. So. Yep. so I would prefer that Go move away from Death Stranding. Stay away from Konami. Come up with something new, but something better. Something that's going to appeal to a wider group of people. And that seems mm -hmm. to be Kojima's problem. Is that yeah. he's a cool guy. He's a little bit of a strange guy. He has really good taste. But like a lot of people with really good taste, they forget that everybody else doesn't have really good taste. But and also, you, like I, I would argue he doesn't have particularly good taste. But um, For what? for movies for one thing like if you want to desperately want to be a film director and you're like your director you hold up as your epitome of what you want to be as john carpenter i feel like you might be aiming a little low <laughs> um, well, i guess it depends on when you're talking about john carpenter <laughs> yeah if you're talking about the thing that's one that's that's <laughs> exactly. different but if you're talking about escape from new york that movie blows and i um, think he is talking about escape from new york probably is yeah, yeah mostly I, think, well, I mean that's snake, where metal gear that's came where from, snake right? comes from yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so my challenge for kojima uh, would basically be I want you to make a new a new project, Horp, whatever you want to cool. No military hardware. <laughs> and no, no John yeah. Carpenter references. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Go. Recipe for a hit. <laughs> like, I know he loves his freaking airsoft gun replicas, but, like, you have yeah. got to branch out. Dude. Like, yep. like, I can't express how disappointed I was when... Mads Mikkelsen's character showed up in the Death Stranding preview stuff. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay, it's just another guy with guns and, yeah. a, and, a, and a tactical squad. But he's in a lake of fire, Mads. <laughs> it's, like, it's so repetitive and so the same. Yeah. And it's like, and, and like you can't you can't continually show all this paramilitary shit and then try to pull like some kind of pacifist thing on me. Like it's, yep. it's like all, yeah, you, you spend all this time lovingly recreating all this military shit. And then you try to make DMCs. everyone use like trank guns or they get bad ratings. <laughs> all that. Like commit to the violence, dude. Like it's what you're fetishizing. Just go for it. Well, that's what he's going anyway. His next game is a horror game. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm hoping that, that, you know, which means it probably won't be. <laughs> Yeah. And he has range on stuff like that. I mean, like yeah. it's not like Zone of the Enders is just that yeah. again. Like Zone yeah. of the Enders is a very original concept for the most part. It's his yeah. spin on mech stuff, but it really also let uh um I can't remember the name of the guy who did uh all the mech designs for, for those games, all his games. Uh Shinka Jura, I know who you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um but uh you know, let him really kind of go wild with some of those the Zone of the Enders designs and like I I, I dig And they did it again in Metal Gear Solid Five with those weird bipedal walkers that Yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean I really would love to I, I do admit I would love to play the version of Metal Gear Solid Five that's in Kojima's head. Yeah, because I feel like we got maybe thirty percent of maybe. it. Maybe, <laughs> definitely. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's Kojima's latest update. That's Konami's latest update. That's the the Silent Hill rumors update for this week. I suspect we won't see Hideo Kojima for a while, like a yeah, year he's and got a half. Some work to do. Yeah, I mean, if he had to go back to the drawing board to start over. 
Whatever the next time Jeff Keeley can manage to get him to share something. That's basically the next <laughs> that's time we'll, when we'll see, him. see him again. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Kingdom Hearts. And you guys know how much I love Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I'm really excited for this discussion. I'm not really all that excited for this discussion because I'm not a big Kingdom Hearts fan, but I know a lot of you will be. Uh, and that's because it is leaked out from several very reliable sources that Square Enix is working with Disney on a Kingdom Hearts TV show for Disney Plus. The rumors also stated that originally Disney tried to do it in house as a live action project and oh realized, boy. yeah, I know. <laughs> and realized, I wish I could see. Oh, like, I would love to see the, the fucking pitch reel for that one. <laughs> Jesus. You imagine that from like this, the people making like the Descendants show or I something? Know, I like, hope they oh. still manage to like cut together the pilot and like gather the Once Upon a Time crew to make a live action Kingdom Hearts series. Oh wow! Well, as you as you probably aren't surprised to hear, mm. that idea failed miserably, and so they've reached out to Square Enix, and now Square Enix is creating the show inside Unreal Engine. So when we talked to you guys mm. about Unreal Engine Five a couple weeks ago and how you could just drop your assets right into it and just take off running. This is what we were talking about. Yeah. They are going also to also remember like that's very similar tech to, I mean, they used unreal for Mandalorian. They did. Well. Like, yeah. Disney, Disney's all up on the unreal tip here. Yeah. It, it totally gets it. And so there is now a kingdom hearts CG animated series on the way to Disney plus um, Matt, what do you think they could conceivably do with this? And do you think that there's any hope for actually creating a plot that is interesting and understandable? No. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's going to stop them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Stop. Here's the thing. Like, I don't know what Disney... I mean, Disney, I guess, has been okay with what they've put out as the game so far, so I don't see any reason why they would... I mean, if I were them, I guess I would just sort of retell the story of the games as a TV series. Oh God, um, no! Please, and no. try to try to like, and you know, well, because the thing to remember, and like, and I've talked about this with some of my Star Wars fans, friends too, is like, even no matter how much you love the Star Wars movies, especially like the kind of the prequels and the sequels, you could definitely take all of Star Wars, the nine Skywalker saga movies, so called, and remake all nine of them, and make a much better, co better flowing and more, co more coherent story That's out of true. them, knowing where you're going with all of them. That is right? true. Yeah, I'm not saying they'd be better than Empire Strikes Back or whatever, yeah. but you could now that you know where it ends up, you could make something that flows better and also doesn't include Episode Nine. And yep. um, with Kingdom Hearts, I'm not saying it's the same situation because Kingdom Hearts is sort of like if the entire Star Wars series was as nonsensical as Rise of Skywalker. It's just like, I don't know what's happening. They're just running from one side of the screen to the other. Um, and at some point, the power of friendship is going to solve everything. That's basically what Kingdom Hearts is. Um, and then Mickey, and then Mickey <laughs> okay. Mouse shows up and hits someone with in a sword. And you're like, what in the world? Okay with that. <laughs> and um, so my, get, my guess is that they will sort of streamline the, the mythology of it. Maybe Organization 13 will be like, Organization 4. And there'll only be four of them or something. I like, guess the thing is, it's just too much. <laughs> Um, but you could turn it into something. And one of the questions I've had over the years uh, is like sort of, especially when my my, uh, my girlfriend and I would go to Disneyland all the time back in the 2000s, was, it was like, why is there no Kingdom Hearts merch? Yeah. Like, why doesn't Disney put, because they sell. own all those yeah. characters. Like, they yeah. own Sora and Riku and all that stuff. Yeah. Square doesn't have, doesn't have the, they don't have the rights to make their own stuff with that. They have to clear it through Disney. Disney owns that. I'm like, yeah. how come there's no, like, pins or there's no, and slowly over the last, like, 
six or seven years, they have you have started to no, see they have. Kingdom Hearts merchandise pop up in the parks. Uh, Tokyo Disney actually does have uh, Kingdom Hearts outfits for Disney for Donald and Goofy. No, oh. uh, that you'll see once in a while, uh, and like so, they have started They're recognizing to start it a little around. bit. Yeah, because because look, the people who were thirteen when that game that series started are thirty one now. <laughs> so they got kids to take to Disneyland too, and the way to one of the ways to pull them in is to show them this game they used to like. That brings um, up a good point, though, Matt. The the potential audience for this show is, I mean, the demographic is from, like, 3 to, like, 43. Yeah. How do you make a show that can appeal to all those people? Or well, you- my, my answer to that would be go watch Star Wars Rebels because it yeah. does it. Okay. They did it. And so I'm not saying that, I mean, I will say that if I were Disney and I'm not, and I don't know if Disney's quite aware of this, but I think they are, given given the outcome of The Mandalorian. Um, I would absolutely be trying to get Dave Filoni's eyes on this show, um, as, at least as some kind of consulting producer as Square kind of works through the making of it. Uh, Dave Filoni being the guy who, um, show creator, showrunner, producer, writer, etc., on um, Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, also worked on Mandalorian. The man is probably the most well-versed and most creatively interesting force working in star wars today um he is he gets it on a on a level that like he's a fan you know he's, he's a fan of things he, yeah. he likes stuff um i will say this i uh and i talked about this in the in the the spoiled on uh, the clone war the last four episodes of clone wars but i ran into him leaving a shin godzilla screening a few years ago and talked to him a bit because uh, i knew he was a godzilla fan and uh and i'm a godzilla fan from way back and he pulled out his phone and showed me pictures of when he went to Okinawa with his wife and when they went to the, the temples that they shot Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla at. Wow. And, and he had pictures of himself standing in the same location holding a picture of the, from the movie like matching up to the rocks that they shot all these things at. And then he went to a premiere of like the, the anniversary of, of Gojira, the f- original movie, and he had brought his own Mechagodzilla costume Jeez. to wear, and he wore it, and it was so good, the Toho people thought they'd hired him to be there and brought him into the VIP area for the party, and then he took the helmet off, and he's like, oh, it's, um, it's, oh what's this random white guy doing here? That's great. And like, it was, uh, that's how good that costume was. Yeah. So he is a hardcore fan of things, and he, that's why you'll see stuff in these, these shows like that are super deep cut references to things, but you don't need to get them to understand the show. Um, I think, and he's just, he's got a really strong sense of story and character and how that all should hang together. He was also a writer, a director on a lot of the Avatar, the last airbender That's where he came from. So you're Avatar. saying hire airbender. basically just hire. Well, he's already just hired. Him. He works, he works with him. But I'm a, I think you just need him as a consultant because he's working on tons of, of star Wars stuff right now, but I would definitely make busy sure then. <laughs> he is very busy. Uh, and there are rumors that in the future he will be promoted to some kind of creative, like lead thing at Lucasfilm. Uh, which would be a good move. But if I were Disney, I would want this man who has such a hugely, com- just just a comprehensive understanding of how animated storytelling should work. I would be showing him at least the early episodes of this Kingdom Hearts series to make in in, in like rough cut form to make sure that he can kind of say like, this is this is pretty good. This isn't so good. You should streamline that you work on this. Like I I would definitely be making sure this gets put in in front of some people that know how to do this that do not come from a square. Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's my, <laughs> my number one thing. Make sure you're vetting this with people who do not work at square. <laughs> hey, Mitch, what do you think of Kingdom Hearts? Uh, it actually was, uh, I played the entire series. I, I enjoy the series. And uh, the only reason I did, because my 
uh, roommates in college forced me to play them all. And they're like, you're going to love this. And so I did. And <laughs> I ended up enjoying it. Um, they wouldn't feed him until he played them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, he gave me his PSP so I could play uh, Birth by Sleep. Like, that's how hardcore wow. he was into this. So Someone consider that an assault. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, would, I would disagree slightly with Matt a bit. You know, I, I, I do love Dave Filoni, and I do think he does do a great mixture between adult and kid um, in regards to audience. But for this series, it's either you either go super kiddish or you go to to the to match the adult like i think that's just the only way to tackle it because the 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 lore is so deep in this series that you either got to really dumb it down or you really just got to go all in like you've gone before in the games and uh i would i would say i would be more interested in seeing them doing a continuation of kingdom hearts going into the future and maybe introduce a new character and then maybe that leads to future games because the series isn't over um, they just said this Kingdom Hearts 3 was the end of the Xehanort saga. So there's still more the Kingdom what? Hearts to come. <laughs> uh, the bad guy you killed in the final act. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they have but, no idea what his name is. The, guy, the bad is. guy who has been in the series that lasted so long, the original <laughs> voice of the bad guy died, died and yeah. had to be replaced. And I still um, don't know what his name but, is. But and I, do, I played all the games. But I do think overall this series, I, I, think, it's, I think the plot is just really badly structurally told because everything yep. <laughs> is not because the game itself like the concepts in that are extremely simple they just find horrible ways of complicating it to say it to your face and then you have to try to put seven things together and realize oh it's a simple concept you just totally confused me you're so, just terrible at expressing yourself which is pretty much square enix in a nutshell <laughs> yeah, <it> yeah. Is. <laughs> so i think it's doable uh, i just i would rather have them go the hardcore route or the super kitty route and also i think that's kind of the fine line right now with disney plus is you either are going to go for the little kids or you're going for the adult that was a kid yeah but i, I don't, don't think have you disney have plus i don't think you have to do that with kingdom Hearts because just like first off the like the lore isn't deep it's just wide and you just got to learn. You got to know where to cut it, and where to not, where to where to include it. And I think that's a fair. Moving forward past the end of the game series, then you have to have the backstory of the game series in place somehow. And I don't know how you get that across in a reasonable amount of time. I'm, I'm Filoni just knows how story works, and I think it would be good. Uh, he's serving the sort of opposite form of uh, what he does in Star Wars where he like pulls all this like old lore and like you know he's brought a lot of old EU concepts in to, like kind of make it work in the new canon for me Filoni would be like just get your eyes on it as a story guy and who doesn't necessarily know anything about Kingdom Hearts but is familiar with Japanese media that's 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 handy and just look at this and tell tell us if it works or not and like not necessarily give him control but just like get his opinion and take that opinion seriously would be how I'd approach this. Um, there might be other people in Disney that could also do that. I don't know their names because they're not as famous as he is. But like you need I think you really need Disney's eyes on this to make sure it plays like an actual normal TV series that you would expect to see on Disney Plus. Either kid aim. You know, I would aim to something similar to like what Voltron did on Netflix like that, that kind of range or maybe She-Ra. Square um, Enix being in control of this scares me to death. Yeah, I mean, it's, it makes it's, me it's a little disturbing. It honestly gives, makes me have zero interest in it. To me, that was the worst part of Kingdom Hearts. 
Just yeah, Kingdom Hearts will have to prove if they're going in house with Square, you're gonna have to prove yourself very strongly to me, especially because like I just I can't remember why I was was I I was at something or I was somewhere. I ended up seeing like most of Final Fantasy Spirits Within again oh. at some point in the last few like, earlier this year, and I don't know why that happened. It was I was at I was somewhere and it was playing and I was watching it. It's awful. Like yeah. I, I saw that in the theater and it was not good, but like it's bad. Like yeah, it's real bad. bad. Like yeah. And then yeah, you're like, Kingdom they built Hearts a whole studio bad, to make that, <laughs> yeah, and and build like a server farm in Hawaii to render. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like Sakaguchi they, basically got fired over that. I know. It's just, it's he amazing. deserved it. He deserved yeah. it. If yeah. you spent that much money for that, you deserve to be fired. That's just the <laughs> bottom line. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, so it, it, I, it was I have a bad risk. My yeah. yeah, my hopes are below zero for this TV show. I respect that some of you guys like Kingdom Hearts and maybe you love it. And you're really excited about this. Definitely not my cup of tea. Um, I think there's potential here. I just feel like they need to approach it like, let's not pretend they did it right the first time. Or let's just ignore all the characters that Square Enix created because they all suck. Like, all of them. Like, except for Sora, I guess. Like, I guess. The rest, they're just like all these faceless, nameless. They all blend together. They're not memorable. Get them out of there. Uh, I, th I, I think there's something to be said. Okay. <laughs> All those I mean, characters in at the end of Kingdom, they all look the same. They all look like some reject motorcycle gang. Like <laughs> the, seriously, all their names are stupid. They act stupid. It's awful. It's made for like five year olds, I think. So maybe to Mitch's point, maybe they should make it for kids. No, I, well, I think in the end, I think that this room, this the details of this rumor may not be absolutely true. The source that I get my movie news from just said that it's only in development. They didn't confirm it was going to be a TV show or a movie. So I'm going to hold the brakes a little bit on these. Hey, that, no, details. I didn't say that either though. I mean, I just said that they're working on a project or right, whatever. No, but, um, but like you were citing the source that came from it saying that like Square Enix was having control of the project and that was going to be an unreal. My source that I look at hasn't said anything like that. Well, this source, by the way, is um, is really good. I'm surprised that you aren't aware of the person who broke this news because this person has broken a ton of crap. And like she was like, I've been sitting on this story for months and other people are starting to talk about it. So I'm going to share what I know now. Nah, I, I mean, the person I heard it from said they just heard it from the grapevine because now Disney is sitting down and looking at a lot of projects and saying, what do we want to start developing for as soon as we can start actually making stuff again? But, I mean, you can accept that there are other people who may be better sources than this person you're talking about, right? Oh, absolutely. I just don't okay. know Okay, so don't close yourself off to everybody else. No, I'm just saying I just don't know the source, and I haven't looked at that exact story, so I don't know, and so that's why I'm pumping the brakes slightly until I look at it. Yeah, well, I've edited it. I've edited everything before we bring it on the show. So, to me, it was extremely reliable. The person had broken tons of stories before, and... There was five other people after she tweeted her information that were like, she's right. So I don't know. Um, I did my due diligence. That's all I can do. I mean, one yeah, way or the other, we're, we're, at least two, we're at least two years out from actually seeing this thing hit Disney Plus anyway. Oh, at least. Um, it's, it's Square Enix. I think it's there is land for 10 years. <laughs> I think there is potential here. I think they just need to revamp how they approach it because I don't think the game structure would lend itself very well to a, an animated series. The hook of Kingdom... You have to decide whether the hook of Kingdom Hearts is the nonsensical original character stories or the crossover with Disney Worlds. And I think for most people, the Disney Worlds are the draw, 
But the problem with the games has been, and you see this in all these summary story summaries of the games that, you know, when you, especially when three came out and everyone's like, oh, you got to catch up on the story to understand what happens in three. One thing you'll notice with all, even in the, in the Brian, Brian Gilbert stuff, here's the intro, what happens to Sora and Riku and da, 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 da. A bunch of Disney crap happens. It doesn't matter because nothing that happens in any of the Disney worlds yes. ever matters. Yeah. And then the end. And like, if I, the main thing I would go for in this series is make, make the Disney worlds matter. Like make the interaction with the Disney characters important somehow, because that's your draw. That's what's going to make people really synergize with it and, and want to tune in to see the new Disney worlds that, that crop up in these stories. And they can matter now because you have control of the narrative and you don't have to like let the players wander through these things and make them one-offs. Like you can make them, you can, you can retell that story and make it a much more like coherent and, and contained story about what they need to do in these worlds and what these worlds are going to do for them. And I think you can do something that balances like what would seem to be juvenile subject matter with a reason for older viewers to watch. And if you don't believe me, go watch Avatar The Last Airbender because holy shit, I just finished rewatching that series. And there is no reason in the world a Kingdom Hearts series could not at least be halfway as good as that if you really took it seriously in terms of storytelling and character development. It's there. You just have to break away from the Square Enix anime afternoon series nonsense storytelling you just have to get away from that and tell it more like a disney show vincent is asking in chat which do you think launches first this or the next kingdom hearts game oh this yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> and it, this could come out in like four years and it will still be kingdom hearts 4 to market is what i would say uh all right let's move on to our last topic of episode 214 we're going to talk about what possibly is the biggest piece of DLC to release in 2020, and that is Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath. Um, I have not played a minute of this. Matt, have you played it at all? I have played the new characters. I have not played this, the campaign, the new story at all. Okay, so Mitch has dove headfirst into Aftermath. He's played through all the content. He's played through the story mode, everything else. Um, so he's going to kind of lead this discussion to get things going, Mitch. What uh, what's your overarching opinion of the aftermath DLC? If so, I, I to be all front, I bought this as a combo with the base game, so I only paid sixty dollars for Total the base game. From, yes, the base okay. game included the first combat pack that came out and this DLC where the DLC by itself is $40. And if you want the combat pack with it, like if you just only had the base game and you want all the DLC going forward, you have to pay $50. So if, if you haven't played this game before, uh, you should go buy this game immediately. Yeah, because you can get all of it for 60, 60 bucks. bucks. And, the <laughs> con and the content's good. It's really, really good. Like everything together, it's a good cohesive bundle. Um, if you're paying $40 for it, I would just say if you're a, a big fan of the campaign and you really liked the plot like I did, I liked how campy it is. I love the characters and it kind of reminds me similar to like the MCU of getting all the bands back together and taking on evil. Uh, this has more of those elements in there. And so if you liked that, you're going to love this. So for sure, definitely do it. But if you are on the fence, I would wait. Now we're talking about the financial side of this because Correct. with this game in particular it's a huge deal because they have been charging insane amounts of money for dlc um 
How much was the first combat pack? Was that 40 bucks? That was $40. Yeah. So you buy the base game for 60 And look, if you bought Mortal Kombat 11 launch month, you're a fan. You're a fan of Mortal Kombat. You like NetherRealms games. So let's say you did that. You bought the base game for $60. Then you bought the first combat pack, which had what, five fighters? Is that right? Yes. Five fighters, the first combat pack, $40. Now, here comes this one. Another $40 where you get some more fighters and you get an expansion to the story. At this point, you have spent $140 for all the content in Mortal Kombat 11 that Mitch just paid $60 for. That, to me, is shocking. Coming is not shocking to me that, that a studio would do that. It's shocking that it's coming from NetherRealm. I... I had missed that the first combat pack was forty bucks. I think <clears> I forgot that because I bought. I think I bought like the the ultra deluxe version when it came out, like which is a hundred dollars. Yeah, uh, which which is forty dollars for the with the, the pass, sixty bucks. Plus yeah, you the got 60 no bucks deal for the game. whatsoever. Nope. And it's and again, I I love Nether Realm. I love everything they stand for. Uh, I love the people that work there. I am blown away by this, and I don't know if it's the publisher. It's the publisher. I mean, it's Warner Brothers, who, by the way, has pretty much got caught up in shady DLC practices from the beginning. Yeah, this is—I have zero doubt in my mind that this is Warner Brothers. And part of—and one of the weird things about this is like Warner Brothers is weird about this because they do like these high uh, DLC prices and they do these big bundles when the game comes out that don't save you any money. But they also drop the price pretty fast. Like you could get Mortal Kombat 11 for a pretty low price in the last few like sales, like holiday sale last year, like spring sale. Like they were they were pretty slashed on the on the prices. And then they come back and like put this out. And aftermath is forty bucks or sixty bucks for the everything with the game. And like yeah, they're selling the game for like twenty bucks with everything included. Pretty much at this point, like if you wait on these games you're going to get a pretty damn good deal. The problem is, and they know this, Warner Brothers knows this, if you are trying to play Mortal Kombat or any fighting game competitively and you wait, you lose. You can't. you got to keep up with the tech. You you can't play competitively and wait. You can't. So they know they got you on that one. Um, And I do think that Warner Brothers routinely overprices their DLC. That was, I think, uh, the Shadow of War DLC was I think the reason that Warner Brothers does this is because it only puts out like one game every two years. That's part of it. Kind of, yeah. It's kind of found itself in the Bethesda role where you really need to make a lot of money off of every game you release or you're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. And there's and like a weird thing. Like, is. So I didn't know this until I went to, uh, I was doing the thing on Steam last week where they did the thing where like spring cleaning or whatever. And like you clicked on the little levels of the house and it suggested a game for you to play and you played it and you got like a badge or whatever. And one of the games suggested yeah, one of the games that suggested I play was Arkham Origins, <laughs> which I have never played. I own on Steam, but I've never played it on Steam. Uh-huh. And I loaded it up. I'm like, okay, I'll load that up and get the badge. And so I did the thing. And I look and it tried to sell me DLC. And I was like, is it, do I not have the DLC for this? Because I'm sure I bought it on like some sale thing. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I never got the season pass for that or anything. I guess it wasn't part of the Steam sale or whatever. And I look it up, and the, the DLC pass is like thirty bucks still. 
Yeah. For Arkham Origins. Ew. Like, <laughs> what? It should be like $2. Like, you should be happy to get two bucks out of that at this point. It's like when I would go back to, like, if I want, I wanted to play, like, Mass Effect again on PC, and I looked it up on the Origin store a few years ago, and, like, all the DLC was still full price. Like, they still wanted, like, nineteen ninety nine yep. for Bring Down the Sky or something. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, very oh. weird. Like, it's just so out of step with how everything else is priced in the DLC realm. Like, you, you're you supposed to nickel point. and dime me, not $5 bill. Right, right. You, know? <laughs> you do bring up a good point, though. I mean, as far as, like, how they handle their business it, with fighting games in particular. Fighting games are very different. It's like... There's a There's, big timeliness element to them. There, it, look, and it's not even just like, oh, I didn't get RoboCop, and I need RoboCop to be competitive. It's also that they're adding new stages that you need to learn mm -hmm. how to fight on. They're tweaking stuff. They're changing the balance. They're changing... Which actually, the, the stage thing normally isn't a big deal in because stages and backgrounds. Right. But in the, the NetherRealms games, there are specific locations for background yep. interaction. You have to learn and know where you exactly. are and how to use them. Yep. And so you start thinking about all that stuff. It's like they have, they know that they have fighting game players by the nads. Because if you tweak the frames on one attack from one character and that's your main, suddenly you're not so good with your main anymore. So the good news, I will say though, is that along with the Aftermath update, they also released a free update. Mitch, can you run down everything that came for free? Yeah, everything with free was friendships for every character, including the new ones that are on the expansion. Um, new stages, uh, those are free. Vincent asked about that. Yes, they are free for the stages. Um, stage fatalities, balance tweaks, and a lot of just little uh, uh, quality of life type things. Okay. Um, so you're getting, how many, what, were there three stages total? Three new ones? I believe it was two. But I could, and both of those honest, are retro it, stages. Yeah, I yeah. I, I think um, I'm literally playing on one right now. Um, as I the one I have on the B roll. Um, but uh, I would say if this thing was twenty dollars, I would say go get it right now. Everyone, just go get it right now. Thirty, I would be like, okay, most people should get it. Wait, um, wait, wait. But, let's talk about the story first before yeah. we start talking about the money again. Uh, but um, uh, but the story it takes place directly at the end of the base game, literally right at the end. It actually when does it even to, have like the last cinema from the base game? It kind of does it? actually. Yeah, it, it takes a. Little, it's almost like um, what they when you go in the menu, it actually is labeled as part one, part two. So part two is aftermath. So when you click on that, it just uh, literally the chapter sequence is picked up right after that. It's oh. not chapter one anymore. It's chapter 13. So, gotcha. um, or chapter 14. I can't remember what one starts, but it's five chapters, about three hours long total of content. Um, and it has the thing I really like about it has the high production value of the original campaign. It's not a side story. It is definitely a cohesive story coming together and it does tie everything in a knot in the end with a bow. And it actually, leads up to me wanting to play the next game and being like, okay, I'm ready mm -hmm. for the next game in the series. Mission um, accomplished. Yeah. I, I am pretty impressed. So uh, one of the reasons I haven't played this yet is because I decided to go back through the other Mortal Kombat's and play them again before I want, I want to basically go through nine or what, 10, nine, 10 and 11, and then go into aftermath and play the whole Mortal Kombat saga. Basically. <laughs> I, I'm actually, um, sorry, Matt. I'm happy you said that because <clears throat> on game face, when you said, they were a trilogy. Before I played Mortal Kombat 11, I watched the cutscenes from 9 and 10, 
and I'm so happy I did because 11 would have That might be a no smarter thing to do, to actually. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> 11 is very much the result of what happens in 9 and 10. Like, like I, I remain very impressed by the fact that Netherrealm reinvented, not only reinvented the series with 9, but like rebooted the whole story without, really? de without decanonizing anything. They just, yeah. re they just used time travel to fix their whole canon. And like, it's real good. Like it's the best story. I mean, it's not saying much the best story in fighting games, but yeah. it is the best story in fighting games. Like, yeah, and for sure. And like, it's not even close. Yeah, it's it's and all these characters have like you know distinct motivations, distinct personalities, and like you know who they are, and like it's cool to see them come back in the next game, and like it, and like they, they there's like plot elements planted in nine that don't pay off until eleven. Like it's like it's it's and I'm sure that wasn't all part of the thing. I'm sure they weren't planning like nine years out right. like to do that, <laughs> but it's like. But no, they make it work. This thread. Let's tie it up. Yeah, they improvise very effectively to the point that it feels planned, and yeah. that's just as good as actually planning it. Sometimes. Um, How did so you guys like playing I, with I RoboCop? Uh, I think RoboCop's fun. Nah. <laughs> he's a he's a he's a big slow lumbering thing, but he has just a whole bunch of references to the movie uh, rolled into one. And I uh, are they revoiced or are they he from is, the movie? He, he's a, he is a. He's voiced by Peter Weller, but it's new recordings. Okay, so they didn't um, just sample the films; he re-recorded them. No, lines. it was a re it's all new dialogue, uh, and of course, it has to be because uh, you know one one of the Nether Realms trademarks is when the two fighters come out, they trade dialogue that is almost always specific to the other oh, character. Right. That's right. That's and right. actually, that's one of the coolest things about this is it finally uh, gives you the opportunity to you know, like I always say, the big four sci-fi R-rated movies of the '80s were Aliens, Terminator. Uh, Robocop and um, Predator and Predator and Alien were in the last Mortal Kombat now you have Terminator and Robocop and it's actually Arnold Schwarzenegger and Peter Weller trash talking each other before the fucking fight that's great <laughs> that is great that is great like I know it's old old Arnold like from, from yeah. the, new, the the Dark Fate movie but it's awesome to see that him come awesome. up and, and Arnold's just like, <laughs> it's like what model are you and, he, and, and Robocop's like I am a cop, Terminator, and, and the term, <laughs> he, says, he says, "I am not subject to human law." And like, it's just like it's fucking great. Like, it, I, it's it's a cheap. It's not worth paying forty bucks for it. Well, of course not. It. But it's just, I, I, <laughs> a cheap Robo, thrill. Robocop's talking trash with the Joker. Like, it's there's some neat shit in here, just in terms of like fanboying out on things. Um, like, I, yeah. I will say with Matt with the voice acting that uh, the voice actor Shang Tsung from the movie returns in this one and he steals every scene. This mm. this DLC is mainly focused on Shang Tsung and everyone knows him as a deceptive character and they play on that so well that the facial animation with him is great. There are constant moments where not dialogue, just non-dialogue moments where just his facial expression expression sells the moment, and you're like, "Wow!" I mean, it almost made it's, everyone. Why did you not like RoboCop? I didn't like RoboCop because uh, when he got too, uh, he was too much of a distance character, and it's really hard to keep people at a distance when he gets too close to people. Um, he doesn't have much fluidity, and so it became really difficult to try to do combos. A lot of his combos have to do with uh, coming from far away, and if you're going to get up close, you need to do a, a combo like boosting your jetpack to run into the opponent, and then you can pumble them because they're a little bit stunned. But if you're going to go in with a fist, it's not going to really work with RoboCop. Um, mm. But if you were, but if you have sh uh, sh Shiva, 
Um, no, she, she was an old character, though. She is an She's old character, around. but um, she is with the DLC pack, and she is up close and personal. She gets in your yeah. face. Um, she's big on grapples. Um, I think she has like five different grappling moves that I've been able to figure out, and that's more than any character I've experienced so far with playing the game. Um, and and she just, I think people that are newer to the series might like her more because she has a little more fluidity with close combat. Um, and then the last one uh, that character-wise is Fujin, and he's a mixture of the two. Um, he's a lot more flashier. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I would say the biggest thing for him is his combos are a lot more complicated, but when you do them, they are so cool, and it makes you feel like a badass. So Cost-benefit analysis. Exactly. So <laughs> he's going to be the one that you're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out, um, but it's definitely going to be worth it in the end. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else for plot. Uh, I mean, that's basically the, the rundown. Is like Robocop's a zoner, uh, Shiva is a grappler, and Fujin is controlling space. Yep. Um, he has some stuff that actually lets you push the character closer to you, and I mean closer to you to like then start up something on it. You can like he's, pull the character. Yeah, because he control, he's, he's the wind god, so he can like blow, use the wind to like blow you towards him and stuff like that, and then knock you away. Like he's very good at like pulling you in and then knocking you out. Okay. Um, <coughs> And he, um, I'm also impressed by Fujin. Um, he's, he's not a new character, but I, all the stuff he, he, I think in this is new animation. Um, I'm impressed by him because you can see how he fights similarly to Raiden, who is, who is the lightning god. You know, they're both yep. old elder gods. They're um, but he fights, he fights differently, but you can tell that they're kind of from the same school. Like there's a, there's almost well, a brother, as Mish yeah, said. Yeah, there's a family resemblance in how they fight that I think is a nice little subtle touch that doesn't have to be there, but it is. Yeah. So Mitch, cool. you said twenty bucks is the most you would pay for this DLC? Yeah, I would probably pay more twenty bucks at most. But if you really, really love it, like I really I would have paid forty dollars for it personally because I really liked the story and this story is just as good and the three You don't feel bad it, having spent no, forty bucks on for, it. For but you also plot, hadn't already spent $100 right. on right. it. <laughs> if I already spent $100, I might be thinking about it. But you might be a little salty. It, yeah. You're probably more willing to do it anyways. That's the thing, though. That. It's like once you're in for 100 that extra 40 maybe doesn't seem so bad. I mean, that's the psychology that these companies are playing off of. So uh, it's dirty, thing, but... Uh, last thing we didn't mention was uh, there are skins. So in this one, you okay. do get a three-skin three packs um, in the <clears> combat... <throat> uh, combat DLC, you'd got skins as well. Yep. Oh, and so I guess there, uh, there was a correction there that uh, is not Arnold doing the voice in this. Okay. Um, but he did do the voice in some other thing he was in as uh, as the Terminator recently. Oh, probably that, that Terminator game that just came it was out. A pre it was, no, actually, no, it wasn't Terminator, it was Predator. That's oh, what okay. he did the voice. He did Dutch in, in the Predator game. I'm mixing up my 80s sci-fi nostalgic cash grabs. Yep. So it sounds Still, like... fine. If you're a hardcore MK player, you, you already bought it. So you don't even want to listen to us. If you're a casual player, I think all of us are struggling to tell you to spend a full 40 mm -hmm. bucks on it. I kind of wish they'd split it up and like if you, it was like 20 bucks for the story and 20 bucks for the new characters. Yeah. But I think we would all agree that the deal that Mitch got, where you get both packs, the base game for 60 bucks, go buy it right now. If you yeah, if you don't have, have a game at all, it's not as a no brainer. Right yeah, you're getting the deal of the century, and it'll definitely hold you over for a couple weeks until The Last of Us gets here. If you're not going to play 
Xenoblade Chronicles. So there you go. Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath. I think it's the last DLC. Uh, I think there might. Yeah, I think there's got to be it, right? I mean, they, I they, they didn't say anything DLC, about more, they didn't say anything about more characters, right? I it's just these three. Not No, I mean, to my knowledge, to my research, I haven't seen anything of them reporting extra characters. There's been some data mining that has suggested there might still be other characters to come. Yeah, that's but the that's, only thing I've seen, but yeah. um, the story definitely ends. So there's mm-hmm. nothing more to go on the story. Yep. Yeah. And and the uh, the character select screen is nicely balanced now, so if they don't add any more, it won't look weird, but... Uh, I don't know if you're going to put this out. It feels like you've kind of revamped the game enough. You could stand to put a couple more characters in it later. Okay. Time to move on to Q&A. Some of you guys have been queuing up questions in here for as soon as we started talking about MK. So great job. Um, as always, go at Sifted Games. It makes it easier for us to find your questions in the chat. Uh, let's see. Uh, from Shaniki, Shalid Shanaik. Matt, did you watch... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2012. That was a very good two for both adults and kids. Um, yes, I think I did. If that was the Nickelodeon show, I did watch that, and that was good. Okay. I've never seen it. Uh, Gohan Rage, thank you for Twitch Prime. Wampler13, thank you for Twitch Prime. Furax75, thank you for Twitch Prime. You guys are all awesome. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's another one from Sneaky. Are you deaf? LOL. No, we're not. Um, let's see. Commander Fett, do you think game developers will change how they portray violence after the riots and protests in the United States? No, 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 No. nothing like that ever seems to affect how game developers, movie directors portray their art. And I hope, and it shouldn't. Um, they should make the art that they want to make. So yeah, the most I think you saw was like after nine eleven. It was a couple of years before a building got destroyed. Yep, in a movie. And wasn't there a movie that actually had a plane like crashing into the building that they had to remove the scene from or something? Um, there were a couple they movies. Metal that, Gear Solid Two, right? Yeah, they did cut that out. Uh, there were a couple movies that like just removed the twin towers from the background. Yeah. Um, uh, Spider Man got rid of that one trailer where he webs the guys in the helicopter up between the towers, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I mean, I don't think so. Like it's... Uh, there might be a protest video game. Could be. I mean, State of Emergency 3 probably won't be coming anytime <laughs> soon. Um, I think maybe you might... More likely, I think you will see... Uh, you won't see a game whose premise is uh, like, a, um, a, like a virus outbreak anytime soon. Yeah. After all the ones that were made already are released. <laughs> yeah, there's it's still not so like much. six of them that have to come out. Like somewhere, somebody's somebody's topic. pulling all the prototype three artwork off the wall because they're yeah. not making that anymore. <laughs> uh, let's see, SJD Swanlin, a follow up from last week. Did you get your Turbo Turbo Graphics Mini? Um, any thoughts? I did. I played it a bit. It's fine. Um, I, I like that it has a lot of games on it because you can switch between TurboGrafx and PC Engine, so it has both the American and Japanese uh, libraries in there. There's weird splitting up between them, like like the Ameri- like TurboGrafx side has Bonk 2 and Air Zonk, which was Bonk 3, um, and then only the PC Engine side has Bonk 1, which is bizarre to me. Like, I, like, so, there's so there's some doubling up, like there's some games on both sides and there's some games only on one side and there's no real pattern to that. I think it's missing a couple of key games, specifically Legendary Axe. Like, Legendary Axe was like 
the flagship game of the early Turbo Graphics and not having it there is very weird to me. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, the emulation seems good. I remember all these games. None of them are particularly great. <laughs> like, um, like they're fun to me because like I have a nostalgia for them because I had a Turbo Graphics. My friend had a Turbo Graphics, and we played a lot of that. And one of my friends had a PC Engine, so we played some of those import things. But a lot of the games we used to like to play on those are missing from this. Um, it's just it's just weirdly incomplete. Uh, and it's also sort of like interesting to play some of those old like CD games because it does have the TurboGrafx CD and some Super CD uh, titles on there, which is cool. But like, especially like Lords of Thunder really drives home. It's like, yeah, it was just a normal 16-bit game with like better music. Like that was really yeah. all that was. Um, to me, that's what the TurboGrafx-16 was in a nutshell. I never did own one. I had a friend that had one, but even he like hardly ever played it. It just sat there. Um, it was, it's, I, a, it's a system full of also-rans, and I have yeah. a, a soft spot for it because I played a fair amount of it back in the day. But, like, I mean, it's, and it kind of, like, shocks me that the thing exists at all, like, the, that they made it at all, which is cool. It's a, and even to the point that, like, the TurboGrafx version, like, you can actually take the back of the whole thing off the same way the old system did, and, like, that's how you plug the HDMI and the power into it and stuff. And, like, it's a cool little package, but, like... I, w I would say this. I would say... It's the first one you want to, for the first micro console you want to collect, and it's the last micro console you want to play. Uh, until that stupid Atari one comes out, yeah. Probably be. <laughs> it's yeah. definitely not going to get as much play as the Genesis one has. Yeah. Uh, I will say that if you want to get it and like mod it to put other stuff on it, other games on it, like the fact you've got like a, you know, a TurboGrafx CD emulator like right there to, to go, like that might not be a bad idea, but like, and I know that there are people already working on modding it, um, but like, if you don't have like a strong sense of nostalgia for that system, don't even try it. Like, yeah. it's not going to change your mind or convince you about anything. There's some weird additions in there, like which are, are charming, but also sort of not something you'll play more than five minutes. Um, I mean, there's a there's a pretty good version of Ninja Gaiden One in there. Um, in the, the Japanese side, which like I'd never played before. I'd heard about it. There was like a, back in the day, there was a whole thing. It was like, oh, Ninja Gaiden on the NES is okay, but the, the PC Engine version <laughs> is the really the best one. And like, yeah. I play it, it's like, it's the same fucking game. Yeah. Like, just a little less pixelated. Yeah, there's some little goofy thing about it. But um, it's uh, um, it's it's fine. It's fun. I'm glad I have it, but I'm not going to recommend it unless you like are really chomping at the bit to like play some turbo graphics with that old controller because the old controller is legit. But I haven't gotten very far in any of those games because, like, let's face it, Newtopia is not Zelda and never was. Okay. Uh, next question. This one, that last one was by uh, SJD Swanlin, by the way. I don't think I gave his name when we read the question. Uh, next up from Bobby Budnick. Uh, what game are you hoping will be at the future game show this weekend? So that is one of those replacement E3 events. It's being put on by Future Publishing. Future Publishing owns, like, Eurogamer... U.S. Gamer, a couple mm. other outlets, Games Radar, I believe it owns. Um, so anyway, they're doing their own thing, just like IGN is doing its own thing, just like Shack News. It, it's so funny how all these outlets just decided, well, well, we need to do our E3 thing. <laughs> so anyway, back to this question. Um, basically, what they've promoted for this so far is over 30 games total from Square Enix, which sounds great, and then Deep Silver, Devolver Digital, and more. It's hosted, host, it's hosted by Emily Rose and Nolan North. So here is the first example of what I, I was talking about when we discussed this a while ago. 
there's not enough to go around. If you have too many shows, there's not going to be enough games, trailers, developer walkthroughs to go around to make every one of them interesting. And this, to me, now that we're seeing the lineup for one of these things, is the first clear example that that is going to be the case. Now, I will say this. I guarantee you IGN has much better stuff, is going to have better stuff. It's got more viewers, more uniques, more impressions. Publishers are going to give them the big stuff. So don't look at what Future is offering as a sign of what we're going to get from all the rest of the events, including Keeley's Summer Game Fest. This is just Future. Um, and I would say, if, I, if I'm saying, okay, what game do we want to see? What's the Square Enix game that you're excited for the most? Fill in the blank with that, and I think that's your answer. Well, I think um, also because Nolan North is being there, he's in Avengers. So there is a potential that Avengers might be there. Or yeah, some I mean, hint at it. chances are that's going to be the game that's there. I would also argue that makes perfect sense because, in all honesty, if you're IGN or your game spot, that's probably not in the top 20 on your list to get on your show. So, you know, as far as like a bigger A A tier game, that's about as good as it gets. And that's probably what I would expect for Future to have in its show. And I would just expect of those 30 games, probably. 27, 27 of them are going to be indie games. That'd be my guess. We'll see. But that's just me guessing. Uh, let's see. Do we have any more? Um, Derek D111. Although here he's, he has an extra one. I would probably be getting both Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us Part 2. But if you could only play one, which would it be? I personally would choose Ghost just because I think I will spend more time with it. I also pose this question in the forums. Uh, I'll answer first. I think we know Matt's answer. Um, for me, that's really tough. Really, really tough. But, oh man. I, Last of Us Part Two, I think. By literally, by like a hair. Because I'd like each one of them, or I'm interested in both of them, for kind of completely different reasons. They're really hard to compare. But if I could only play one before I died... It would be The Last of Us Part Two because it is more in my wheelhouse. I'm more of like the zombie movie horror guy than the kung fu movie, you know, Chinese kung fu movie, whatever. Um, so it's more in my wheelhouse, but I think both are going to be great. And Matt, I think we know what you're going to answer. Yep. I pick Ghost of Tsushima because yeah. I think Ghost of Tsushima is going to be a better game. It probably will be. And I would just watch the cutscenes of uh, Last of Us 2 on YouTube or something. Okay. Uh, Mitch, how about you? Uh, very, very close like you, but I go Ghost of Tsushima. I like samurai. I love Japanese culture, so it's in my wheelhouse. Okay. Which one do you guys think will sell better? Last of Us 2. Last of Us Part 2. Yeah. That's what I figured. Um, Twitch Prime, thank you. To Texture Glitch, Short Raver, Slagathor. Thank you guys all for the Twitch. Oh my gosh, there's so many more questions here we're not gonna be able to get to them all i'm sorry guys there's just too many um from texture glitch because he helped us out with twitch prime will answer his question well why are we excited about the unreal 5 engine when looking at the list of games using unreal 4 most of it was jank it wasn't a dominant engine this generation like unreal engines 2 and 3 were in their time frostbite unity snowdrop etc have been much more influential. Epic did revenue sharing for Unreal 4. Was it a coincidence that they lost their crown then? Or is diversity and availability of engines the reason that the age of the Unreal Engine is over? Longest question ever asked. 
on Game Face. I, I don't know if I'd say the frostbite was influential. Um, As in something you don't want to do. Yeah, I guess good ex- good counterexample of <laughs> How to good make an things. Um, uh, the the data the data is that Unreal Engine Four was twenty to twenty five percent of all games released in Generation Eight. I just looked up that data last week. And and I would say on top of that, you know, it, it's not as much of like what Unreal Engine 4 can do. It's what can everything else do because it's going to be similar to match it. So you're getting a What do you mean by what can everything else do? Every like what else? game engines that oh, other, what competing do. engines yeah, can exactly. do? Exactly. Like it's just basically this is this is um this is a scale, and this is where the other game engines are going to match in scale in regards to quality. And so therefore, we know what that next gen looks like. I think that's what it's more of. It's not more of this engine is the best engine in the world. It's that this is what next gen is going to look like, and all the other engines are going to look similar in regards to quality. The thing about middleware, though, is that the more they're used, the better they get because all the developers work on them. They work on the libraries, the documentation. They share information internally with other studios at their company working on games. So there is value in an engine getting used more often. However, um, I think the number one engine right now is Unity uh, because they have the most favorable uh, cuts as far as, although they're much better with Unreal Engine 5 than they were with 4, um, but they have the most favorable cut. And a lot, and most of my development friends say that it is like my first video game development tool, uh, that just about anyone with a lot of passion can use Unity and make a game. Um, Unreal Engine, a little more complicated, and you're right. If there aren't as many people making games for Unreal Engine 5, the libraries aren't going to be as good, the resources aren't going to be as good, and you're going to have to lean more on Epic to help you when you're building games, which is not what you really want to do. You don't want to have to wait on some random third party to get back to you when you have a feature that you're trying to implement in your game. So I, um, I, I think your question's a little disingenuous, and I don't think you did it on purpose. Um, Unreal still is a really big engine, and a lot of people do use it for their games. And it's going to get better. And I do agree that um, they maybe dropped the ball a little bit last gen, um, but I think Epic also got caught up in a lot of other stuff like Fortnite and some other things that it was doing that were probably a lot more financially successful than Unreal Engine 4, to be honest with you. So I don't give them a pass, but I can understand why they slipped a little bit. Um, Unreal Engine isn't going anywhere. It's going to keep being one of the top three engines being used to create video games. People like Epic. They trust Epic. They've been working with Epic, as you mentioned, for a really, really long time. And there's a comfort level there with that. And when you're talking about projects that cost $150 million to fund, that's what you want. You want certainty. You want to know that when you make that call, someone's going to answer. They're going to have the answer. So um, I probably, by the end of Generation 9, I wouldn't be surprised if the three big engines have a 33-33-33 split because all three of them um, are functional for a certain type of developer and are functional for making a certain type of game. Um, and I think all that will just equal out by the time we're at the end of Gen 9, and uh, they'll all be doing very well. Just my take. Um, here's the last one, because we got to get out of here, because Mitch has to get out of there before he breaks curfew. <laughs> uh, this well, curfew from- doesn't apply for work. Like, you can um, go to and from work. Oh, I thought if you're just out after curfew, no. they can you pull can, you over for any I mean, they could, but you just say, I'm coming from work. And, but but uh, I also have to take a lift. 
So yeah. I don't know if books <laughs> are available during curfew. Yeah, I also don't want Mitch standing out on the street all that long waiting for a lift after curfew. So we're going to wrap this sucker up here quick. Uh, the last one from Kadaz. Is there any wisdom to waiting until the PS5 release to play The Last of Us Part Two, Ghost of Tsushima, or Cyberpunk? Uh, would that give you a noticeably better experience in the way that Red Dead 2 or Horizon did when played on the PS4 Pro versus the base PS4? Kadaz, if you have the willpower to wait for all three of those games until the PS5 comes out, sure. I, I have no such willpower. So I'm just going to say right now, I could never do that. If you think you can, then go for it, because I do believe you'll get a better experience on PS5. What do you guys I don't, think? I don't think it'll be that different. Um, I also don't think you'll make it that long without getting spoiled on Last of Us 2, if there's something you care about. Um, and like Cyberpunk in particular, like probably the experience will be better, but like if you're that worried about the experience of Cyberpunk to the point of buying a new system and waiting for it, like why not just buy a new video card? Why not just buy an Xbox Series X? Because that's going to be a better experience than PlayStation 5 probably, like yeah. in terms of raw power, um, depending on how well CD Projekt Red can optimize for the uh, PS5 any amount of time they have. Um, I mean, that's always true. Like at that point, you know, why are you playing anything this late in the generation? Yeah. Yeah. I rather, I rather experience it on the original hardware was made for. And then, you know, I can always just play it again if I really liked it, you know? Yeah. I, if it's that much I know of a that's difference, not happen. I'll play, uh, I'll play Tsushima again. I'm sure. Like, but it's like, I, what else am I doing in July? Frankly, and especially because it really looks like you're not going to have to pay to upgrade them or to buy another version of them. You'll just be able to play them again on the new system. Yep. Like, there you go. Like, if, you, if it comes to the time when you feel like you'd like to play it with a slightly better visual look, there, it's going to be there for you. Um, Sneaky says, I hope you guys read this, but I've seen how crazy your country is, so stay safe, take it easy, look after yourselves. We all appreciate what you do. And we appreciate you guys showing up to watch us talk about video games for two to three hours every Tuesday. So that's it for Game Face 214. Thank you guys for sticking around after we had the mic prowl. This is just crazy right now. Just across the board, it's just crazy. We're all doing the best we can. Uh, I want to thank you guys for all your support financially, emotionally, in any way you're doing it. We're all helping each other get through this right now, and that's what we're all here for. We're all friends, and that's what friends are for. Uh, so on behalf of Matt, who you can find on Twitter, at mkyle, M-K-E-I-L, and on behalf of Mitch Sikorsky, you can find on Twitter at Mitch, S-I-K-O-R. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can find me at Dinfire. And if you want to know what the heck is going on with Sifted, like why did our stream start an hour late today, you need to find us on Twitter at Sifted Games and follow us there, and you'll know anytime anything out of the ordinary is about to happen. And if you're checking out the show on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or anywhere else out on the Internet and you want to help us out, please head on over to patreon.com slash sifted and kick us a couple bucks a month. We notice every dollar and I am not lying. Uh, so thanks everybody for watching on the stream. Thanks for everyone for their support. Everybody stay safe. Everyone be careful. Game face is up and out. <laughs> <laughs>